Welcome back to Comfort Breeze Complacency. This is episode 10. Today, we are joined with myself in my school bus. I'm going to be going over my full Okanagan Lake swim uh, project from the first year until this year. It was a four-year project in total, and uh, just going to go over kind of the first two attempts briefly, and then go over this most recent attempt. So if uh, you're new here, you're just tuning in for the first time, my name is Nick Pelche. I'm an ultra-endurance athlete and adventurer based out of Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada. And right now I'm living in a school bus, so that's why I got my shirt off. It's pretty freaking hot in here. Um, <laughs> it's like an oven and the sun beats down on it, so going shirtless. Gotta keep the sunnies on for ultimate protection, but uh, yeah, I guess just starting off with this project, um, goes back to 2020 uh, during COVID. I was actually living in this school bus again, uh, not planning to. I had just left uh, left a house with my, my roommates and uh, had a couple months before I got into another house with uh, my other roommate, so... I ripped the bus for three months, and during that time, it just so happened to be COVID when everybody was on full lockdown and and everything like that. And I know um, a lot of my triathlon friends during that time were were doing like a lot of cycling and running, whether it be indoors or outdoors, like social distancing from everybody. But at that time, I also had a knee injury, so not only was I trapped in my school bus, I was. Uh, I was kind of limited with what I could do, so I bought a paddleboard off my coach, and uh, I would go every day on my paddleboard to the lake and sit on a cooler and then just paddle on the lake. Uh, nobody out there, just me in the middle of winter. Um, but I really got to uh, start to feel out the lake then and there. I'd, I'd lived in Kelowna. I moved from Calgary right after high school for collegiate baseball, and I... Uh, I played on the Okanagan College Coyotes baseball team and then had a lot of concussion issues. wasn't fair to me or the team. Couldn't play the way I wanted to, but I still had a will to compete and a burning fire to compete. So I got into triathlon because my dad, he had done that uh, throughout his whole life. And I used to run as a kid and swim as a kid and cycle as a kid and had all this base coming up, even though I played baseball and all these other sports throughout high school and everything. But, um, yeah, I got in with this coach and got in with uh, a pretty awesome training team, the best juniors in the country. And Brock Hole is going to hopefully be going to Paris for triathlon and train with these world-class guys and doing the same training as them every day. And I, I realized that that wasn't going to be me going to the Olympics. So I did, uh, I did some more... Uh, endurance training and everything, but I did a, a cycle trip across America, which my dad also did right before I was born. Um, so I did that. It took me 50 days from San Francisco, California, to Old Orchard Beach, Maine, and uh, that's kind of where I got my love for ultra-endurance sports. So so while I was injured during uh, COVID, living in my school bus, I uh, yeah, I'd get on my paddleboard and get out on the lake. And even though I'd been living in Kelowna up to this point, it was probably three years-ish, um, three or four years, 
I'd never really been out into the lake, obviously been out like one, one or two times on a friend's boat or something, but never really got to feel the intimacy of like how calm it can be on one side of the bridge and just how angry the lake can be on the other and just complete yin and yang, just complete opposites, uh, but working together to make such a beautiful lake and, um, environment so just being out there spending lots of days on completely glass lakes and on the rough lakes and paddling and battling out there and just getting a feel for it that's kind of kind of where I started to get the idea to uh challenge myself on this lake and then I remember going um with my my buddy Ken and my buddy Malum we uh we grabbed some kayaks from Malum's house his parents kayaks and we just drove to vernon one day i dropped my my car at the bridge in Kelowna, and then we drove his truck to vernon the three of us or his car to vernon and uh had the kayak strapped to the top just a complete rig going down the road and our goal was to paddle from kin beach and vernon to um to the bridge in Kelowna. so i think it was 45 kilometers was going to be the kayak at that point in time I was just getting into ultra and everything. I hadn't even ran a marathon yet. So I was about to paddle one and, uh, you know, we loaded up. It was, I think March. So it was freezing cold still, still ice on the water when we went into little like ice crisps on the water when we went in Kin Beach and, uh, started heading down towards the, towards the bridge and, uh, Malum, <laughs> Malum made it about, I think, 16 kilometers and pulled off. He said his ass was too sore to keep going. So Ken and I kept going, and uh, it took us, I think, 12, 12 and a half hours to, to get to Kelowna. And we were lucky that day. We had, going by Bear Creek and everything, we had a nice tailwind. So, But it was, like, starting to time those swells and everything. We had low-riding kayak, so if we went over in the middle of March, like, it, we were in pretty rough shape, I guess. It wasn't the smartest thing to do, but... We got it done, and uh, that's kind of where this whole seed was planted in my mind. I was thinking, man, it'd be cool to do the whole lake, like probably paddling it. I was thinking I have a pack raft, um, which is like an inflatable little Zodiac-looking thing. It's about the size of a kayak. Uh, it just folds up into a bag, and you blow it up. But I was thinking about doing that and uh, paddling the whole lake, and I thought, man, I just did half of it. Like It'd be a challenge, but... I think like I could probably do it decently easy, relatively easy. So I wonder about swimming. And then that is where everything started. And I started looking online. Has anybody swam Okanagan Lake? And Google showed me that one man has, only one man ever has swam it continuously in one shot. His name is Adam Ellenstein. He did it in 40 hours, 57 minutes, and 11 seconds. And right when I saw that, I thought, man, it's cool to have a challenge where not very many people have done it. It's awesome to do triathlon races and all these things, but I really want to be in the business of doing, like, firsts, so being the first person to do something or being, like, one of few to do a certain feat and maybe try and do it quicker than the person prior to me. So when I saw that Adam had done it and... 40 hours, 57 minutes, and 11 seconds. I thought that's that's going to be my goal. So I talked with uh, my coach Luke here in Kelowna, Balance Point Racing, and he uh, he helped me with a plan and everything and just uh, planning out 
what my training schedule would look like and the date that we were going to do it at this time. Pools have been closed in Kelowna uh, as everywhere. Everything was shut down because of COVID, so I couldn't get in pools to train. So we were more or less waiting until it was warm enough for me to get in the lake to start training. Uh, and he figured I needed probably three months of solid training to get a good enough base uh, to whereas I could do this, not get injured, and be um, have a shot at the record. So I uh, I got started uh, training probably in June-ish. Um, and we figured that September, I think it was the 4th or the 1st of September, very early September was going to be our go date because that's kind of the edge of where uh, I had the most amount of training, but it's starting to get pretty cold in the lake by then in the evenings and all that. So it was early September when our goal date was. And, uh, yeah, I just set up a plan. It was three months of training, um, and it required me to start pretty slow and then build up. So I got up to, by the end of it, probably doing four nine-kilometer or three-ish hour um, swims in the lake per week and then in between those those are like every next day and then in between those got up to just an hour swim and then I was also running and doing some cycling and a little weightlifting here and there but it was mostly the swimming um so looking at around probably like 35 40 ish kilometers a week at that point in time and then it was on me so Luke set up the plan and then it was me to execute it but before all that I had to start figuring out how this swim was going to come together so a big thing and I wasn't I don't know I was C's get degrees that's kind of how I got through school I mean I tried to take what I could from it and think critically but I was never big into school but one thing they don't teach in school is how to set up projects like this or how to organize an endeavor of a world record attempt and everything so I uh I had to figure that out on my own basically um I made a list of what I needed to do or what I thought I needed to do by the time that go date would happen and I just started checking things off so first thing I wanted to do is get a charity uh, to raise money for and I landed on Brain Trust Canada and Brain Trust Canada was somebody I'd worked with while I was in university at Oakland College and uh, so I got them to make me a personal fundraiser link and all that and then then I had to build my crew out so I got people who I thought would be best for certain roles I had to have a crew chief uh, who would man everything on the boat all my nutrition and all the record stuff for Guinness book or, or Guinness world records and all that. And then I had to have a crew of kayakers. We had a one main support boat, two kayakers, and then we had another support boat that would bring crew and switch them out every eight hours so that I could have a fresh crew out there. Um, then I had to have a witness, uh, that was unaffiliated to me so they could vouch for the record being legit. And, yeah, I just started putting together a crew of friends and people who I knew I could count on and uh, people who um, could do the job they need to, to be asked of. And, and in Ultra, it it uh, it becomes pretty selfish of the person doing it because 
it's all about them and the goal uh, in the moment. So it's getting people who um, are selfless. Like the, they're, they're going out there to help me who's being selfish doing this uh, or needing to be selfish during the, the event to, to get through it. And everything is based around me. And I have these people that are full on supporting me, which is amazing. They're giving their time and effort and, going out there all hours of the day just to support me. And that's not lost on me how how grateful I am of all these people that come out there and do that. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it makes me, makes me feel touched that all these people uh, care about me enough to do that. So it was awesome to have my first crew together that year in 2020 and then leading up to it, trained, trained, trained. And, um, yeah, it, uh, I don't know if, I've ever really told anybody about this other than the people who know about it. Uh, I made some excuses back in the day and I hope I've grown from that. But like 10 days out from the event, I was probably I was training like I should, like training like a madman. I was still working at uh, a job I had in town and I, I was young and... <laughs> like to have fun so we were out downtown one night probably shouldn't have been doing it this close to the swim looking back it's pretty stupid but downtown there and one of our friends got jumped and uh yeah i didn't even think or hesitate about this think about the swim or anything didn't hesitate to get in got into <laughs> got into it with them got knocked in the face but gave some knock-ins as well and uh left there like alive and Things can go much worse than a street fight, but had a little bit of a black eye, and then my hand was absolutely toasted. Just the knuckles were busted on my hand, and uh, so not a lot of people know that. But I was going into uh, that first one with a pretty busted up hand. Um, no excuse at all, for sure. But that was the reality of it. So went in there and uh, still just. Uh, Try to do my best. So we had to talk to people, the most northern point of the lake. Um, there's a there's a house there that uh, has been through a few different owners at this point in time. But at the time, I had to go and just cold call them on the door and say, hey, I'm doing this thing. Would I be able to start here? And they said, yeah, hell yeah, let's do it. And uh, so I drove my bus out the night before the event. And... Uh, well, obviously, I talked to the people like a month before to make sure I could do it. But on the day of the event, I drove out the night before, got my bus there. I just wanted to be on site, getting ready. And uh, and then the morning of, my crew came in the support boat down the lake. And we were trying to start, I think, at 4 or 5 a.m. And they were ripping down in the support boat. And uh, they hit like seaweed or or a sandbar or something and went like everybody went flying coming in and i was thinking like oh boy like oh man i probably could have planned this a lot better and like this i wasn't sure like people we were there late because of that because they had to go slower down and i was thinking i'll oh, just like worried about stuff and i just thought man it's i'm going to be in the lake the same amount of time regardless so it, it doesn't really matter when i start we we're we we're hoping to do it so when i started on the first day i go the full first day through the full one night and then the whole second day and then you race the sunset into the finish is basically the plan for the for the round the 40 hour mark uh, was our goal sub 40 um so we did we got there the boat got there and i uh got suited up and read my 
introduction for Guinness, and off we were. I mean, it was trudging through some pretty gross mud at the start, and and just uh, yeah, going down the that most northern part of the lake by the reservation and all that. It's a thirteen kilometer stretch. It's pretty still water, and uh, you go before it, it splits off into where the the two sides come from Vernon. So. Um, yeah, I was heading down there and I just remember thinking like, you got like, you're in it now. It, it was so much stuff getting to the start of it and planning and everything. And, and a lot of it, it was on my, on my back cause it was my, my project and I was doing a lot of it alone. And, uh, and yeah, so off we went and I remember thinking about like, man, if I did this, like maybe I could get on joe rogan and and stuff like that and thinking like man i'm in in it like i'm actually doing it i've talked about this for so long and thinking about it and here i am doing it i remember before i had even got anything planned or that i was kind of dabbling with the idea earlier in the in the year i remember telling a few people like i'm thinking about doing this and this and then it got to the point where i'd like i told so many people i hadn't even planned it yet but i told so many people about it they're like oh when are you doing the swim i was like Oh damn! I remember standing in the shower one day and just laughing to myself, thinking, "Holy man, I'm, I'm actually gonna have to do this thing." And then, uh, yeah, so definitely nervous getting to start, but it's definitely like, like a deep breath and like uh, a breath of fresh air and weight off your shoulders once you finally get going because you've done all this work to prep and here you are at the start. So. I remember going through. I'll do like a quick recap on this one. I, I uh, went through the. Basically, the full first day, everything was going great. Um, training felt great. Like, body felt great. Crew was coming in, switching out. It's always nice to have new faces out there. And then I remember feeling a little bit of hot spots in, like, my shoulder area underneath my armpits because I had a wetsuit on. And I'd put tri-glide and stuff that i put on any of my training swims that got up to, like, 10 kilometers at that point in time. And uh, then as the night went on, it started getting uh, darker and colder. And then, uh, here we are. And, and to me, it felt like it happened like, like that, like a snap of the finger so fast, but obviously it built up over hours and hours, but I got to the point probably around 20 hours in where I was in a bad way with my back, with chafing, with everything. Um, and if you look at it after the fact, um, I lost tons of skin on my back, shoulders, groin, everywhere. I mean, everywhere you don't want chafing. There was chafing and, like, brutal chafing. Um, It was getting so cold in those September nights, too, that uh, we tried pouring hot water down my suit to keep my core warm and everything. But it was like pouring rubbing alcohol on an open wound. It was just uh, brutal. Worst pain I've felt felt in my life. It was open wounds with hot water on it, and it would cut your breath. Well, I'm back. There you go. I told you it was hot in here. My camera died. Too hot. So we're on a different camera. But anyways, I was talking about getting the chafing on my back and it cutting my breath and just not even be able to breathe. And I couldn't plane right in the water anymore. Um, my legs were starting to drag like this, and it was just, like, falling apart. Every time I tried to plane right in the water excruciating pain i couldn't even lift my arms up excruciating pain and at this point we were 
we weren't even at the bridge yet. We were probably like six or seven kilometers away from the bridge still. Um, I think his first attempt was around 24 hours, 22 hours, somewhere around there. And uh, probably around, it's 56 kilometers to the bridge. So we were probably around, yeah, 48 to 50 kilometers in. And uh, yeah, had to call it. Um, my my dad was out there, and him and uh, him and the crew chief on the boat decided to uh, call it. So loaded me up, brought me back to uh, the marina and everything, and everybody unloaded all the stuff. And I was in a bad way; just couldn't move anything barely is just excruciating pain and i remember just being like sorry to everybody that they came out and did this and i wasted everybody's time because i i wasn't uh able to get it done and um it wasn't what i thought it would be that stopped me in my hand or anything uh it was chafing so i uh yeah i i i thought chafing would be a possibility like you always think in ultra stuff but I remember even talking to my coach and he was afterwards like I've never seen that like I didn't know that was possible either from the wetsuit like it 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 took all the skin off my back and my sides and and then uh yeah the recovery from that was pretty brutal because every night I go to bed I had to pick which side I wanted to sleep on to like tear my wounds off basically I had them covered up but even even with that, when you had to change the dressings and everything and tear off your back, and, oh, it's just brutal, man. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a tough one to get over because up until that point, everything I'd kind of done or taken on, I'd been successful in. And it's, I'd, going into that one, I had nerves, but there was not one doubt in my mind that I'd be able to do it. I think that was the first time I've ever really been humbled as to where this actually could be a possibility that I need to do more training or I need to figure out a way that uh, I can get through this thing that I I hadn't thought of before. Um because I've been confident in my abilities, my mindset, and everything. But little I know, this was just the start of me having to work through a bunch of things on this project. So during uh, that off season, I was still in Kelowna, and uh, I worked on uh, a number of different things. I think uh, that year I did a run around the lake in Kelowna. So from Kelowna around the top of Vernon back to Kelowna it was 140 kilometers that was my first uh big ultra run I guess uh I didn't ultra run before I actually ran a marathon so that's one thing I, I like to do with mindset and stuff is I like to obviously do it safely I'd been training a bunch up into that point and I had good base and my muscles could handle it but I skipped I skipped a distance in the middle so instead of going half marathon, marathon, 50K, and then work my way up, I uh, actually, no, I lied. I had run 150K before that. So 50K was the longest run I'd done before that. Um, but anyway, still big jump, a 90-kilometer jump. So instead of kind of working my way up really slowly uh, through these things, I like to sometimes like take a jump 
And then if you do that, if you do that distance or something once, then you know you can do it, and that should be your new baseline now. So um, you should continue to strive for that distance, and and uh, you just save time in the middle, I guess, uh, going all the way up through that. But it, then again, if you if you do that too quickly or you make these jumps, that's when you get injured and you get set back. So I'm not saying that's the smartest thing to do. I'm just saying that's how I did it. Um, and I think there is some value in in knowing that you can do something and then uh, proving that to yourself and then having the confidence in in anything up until that point. So, um, yeah, that uh, I did that in the winter, and I did some trips in Haida Gwaii where uh, I had a, a bear steal my bear hang food, and I lost my food on the island for... <laughs> I was like a few days out from civilization. I was on a pack rafting trip alone in the middle of COVID, and uh, I had uh, hardly any food for uh, th- three or four days going back, I think three days. And uh, that was pretty miserable, cold time. But again, it, it, it got me used to this feeling of that feeling of cold that I felt in the water uh, on that night that I failed on the first attempt, which was this unescapable cold that I can't describe really. Um, it's just a feeling of you're in the water and you're freezing and getting hypothermic and you can't do anything about it. You know, it's a tough mindset to be in because you know, you're going to be in there for at least another, what at that point, 24 hours, 20 ish hours. Like we're not even halfway yet. So it's this feeling of like unescapable pain and discomfort that you kind of got to learn how to work through. So, doing these other trips and things that put me in that same mindset, that same feeling was, was beneficial to me for sure. Um, even though at the time they suck, but they're awesome to have as experiences to look back on and learn from. And then we got into the second attempt, the second year again, did a lot of, uh, a lot more training, uh, learning the things I, I had from the year before. Um, and then getting into, same type of thing. A lot of it, once I did it that first time, was uh, it was like the the way was kind of paved. So I had the same schedules. I had the same because we were using the same that stuff. Nothing was wrong with our our plan, my logistical plan. So different people had to mix in, uh, obviously because of work and life and everything, and uh, had different crew, but or lots of the same members, but different crew. Um, and but the same schedule and everything so this year I decided or the second year I decided to go with uh if people were inspired by the swim to just pick a charity and donate it and uh just kind of say it was in uh motivated by my swim so that was pretty cool I think we raised on the second one like 24 or 25 different charities and on the first one we raised around 13,000 Canadian for Brain Trust Canada which was awesome um yeah, getting into the second attempt, we uh, we got a pontoon boat the second time around for my main support boat, and then again we had two kayaks, and we had a a um a support boat that would bring my crew back and forth from the marina every eight hours to switch. And on the main kayak was a support line, and this was on the first attempt too. We had a support line, a sighting line that would hang about. Mm, eight feet off of the 
the kayak on the right side and trail in the water. And there's a little dog light that go on a dog leash in the water. And I would just look at this little light so that I could look down in the water and not have to look up and sight where I was going over 106 kilometers, the length of the lake. So I, uh, I, I started to, yeah, get used to that looking down at that light and, uh, cause I'd done it so much before on the, the first attempt. So in my training for a second one, I did more practice sighting off of a line with somebody with me and things like that. And I did some longer swims as well. I think, uh, I got up to around 20 kilometers for training swims, um, for the second attempt. And then again, slept on my bus the night before there was new people at the start. So I had to meet them and this was 2021 and Lo and behold, it was nice all summer, and then the two days before, we got the bad forest fires in Kelowna, as we often do uh, during the summer, and we're experiencing them right now, actually, worse they've been in like 20 years, so prayers out to everybody, but um, that year, we had bad smoke, and we had the worst air quality on earth. The day I did my swim, (laughs) and... Most people say, oh, that's stupid. Like, why would you do it that day? Wait a day. But, I mean, if you live in the Okanagan, you know that smoke can last anywhere from a day or two to weeks, right? It can sit in there and sock in the valley, and it's just here to stay. So when you have thousands and thousands of dollars with support boats and sponsorships and crews of 20-person crew all spending their time and energy getting to the starting point and my training's lined up and everything's ready to go. You more or less have to pick a day and go with it. Obviously, the biggest factors are the wind and um, the water temperature. So if you have a headwind, it's pretty hard to fight through that. So we're uh, And over the 40 hours or however long the swim would take, you're going to have bad weather and things are going to go wrong over a swim, but it's just doing everything you can control up until that point. And then when it's go day, you just have to accept what, what your fate is. I like to say you, you accept and make peace with your current situation. You'll gain the ability to identify gratitude in any scenario throughout your life, good or bad. So, uh, <laughs> day of the swim and we knew it was going to be like this, but bad smoke couldn't see barely a hundred, 200 meters ahead of you. Um, which made sighting a lot harder. We had a Garmin on the sport kayak that they're following a line that we had uploaded onto it, the route, but basically no sighting at all. You're just going off uh, whatever's ahead of you, which is the water, and then there was a lot more zigzagging going, but um, yeah, as well, that water had a a water ban on it because of E. coli levels. Um, I think 100 parts per milliliter is like the limit you don't want to be anywhere around that is swimming and that when i did it was twenty thousand. <laughs> so i'm literally swimming through for no better word like cow shit at the start of the swim there's cows that muck around around there and geese and birds and it's literally just muck and grunge and you can taste poop in your mouth when you're swimming so it was the best of both worlds, really. I mean, I had my face in the water tasting shit, or I was breathing smoke. So, 
I mean, it's a, it's a hell of a day when that's what you choose to do, but I chose to do it and nobody was making me and there we were. So second attempt started, lots of the same crew. We were heading down the lake and, uh, it was pretty eerie. It felt like we were out at the sea in some fog or something. I remember having a drone shot going around us and it was just complete whiteout, like couldn't see a thing. But as we got down the lake, we got down that first part and, uh, that first 13 kilometer stretch and started to dissipate a bit, started to lighten up, which was awesome. And as the swim went on, it was definitely still smoky, but, um, we had, uh, had some luck there, which was awesome. And then, yeah, again, I'll keep this one a bit shorter, but went down the lake and started, yeah, everything was seemed to be fine. And I started feeling a little bit of a tinge in my left shoulder probably like 12, 13 hours in, and then uh, went down the lake, went down the lake, started getting darker, and boom, shoulder just stopped working. Stopped working completely. It was just a impingement, just shooting pain every time you lift it. It was this left shoulder, and uh, just couldn't, couldn't put it up. So I was trying to figure out these different strokes and I ended up being able to do this one stroke where I would slap my arm. Like I, I couldn't get the catch, the high catch like you would in normal swimming. So I was pulling up and slapping my wrists like this in the water. And, uh, and over time and time and time, my wrist was getting more and more and more and more swollen. And, uh, almost like right at the same time, my shoulder felt like it had a big kind of like, pop and then shooting pains down my arm and then my wrist popped as well and everything in my hand went numb the whole hand no strength in any of the fingers at all I couldn't couldn't do anything basically with my hand um it was just completely numb um yeah my shoulder was useless my left arm is useless so this was probably 20-ish hours in again, around the same time, around the same place. Um, and I remember trying to swim with my right arm, just my right arm for a couple hours. So I had my right arm up, and uh, or my left arm up as well. So it would be like left arm up and my right arm up, and I'd just pull with my right arm like that. And then I could only do that for two hours because we had a pretty big headwind and uh there's kind of this these fires burning up around bear creek in Kelowna, which is again probably 10 kilometers away from the bridge kind of somewhere in there and my dad was telling me that there were like ash and embers in the air kind of like floating down we're still like the red hot in the sky it looked pretty apocalyptic apparently and uh there's this hot heat, uh, just hot wind blowing right at us. So every time I would fight and fight and fight to get 100 meters forward with my one right arm, I'd stop for a breath of air and I'd get pushed back that 100 meters. So it got to the point where we weren't even doing one kilometer an hour. And I remember uh, my dad was like, okay, we got we to gotta do something. We're going to go into shore here, which was we went into Lake Okanagan Resort there and uh, – before I got on the boat, though, I remember just sitting in the water, uh, looking back like the Vernon way, just pitch black. It was just me out there. Everybody else was, like, loading the kayaks up and stuff. 
I remember just like crying to myself, man. Like I had gone through so much mental torment that year before, um, physical pain and mental torment that whole year before, like from the day I stopped that whole winter, everything I did was for the swim. I did other endurance challenges. I did a, I called it take five timeless classic where I ran five kilometers on the hour, every hour. And then however long it took me to run the five kilometers, I'd have five or like that much time off. So if it took me half an hour to run, I'd have half an hour off. I did that for a hundred miles. So 161 kilometers. I remember just every time I didn't want to do another one thinking like, man, this is the exact same feeling you're going to feel in the swim. I like to do these challenges and things because I can pick and pull. So when I'm in the swim, I can pick from that take five timeless classic challenge and throw it in here and say, man, you were about to quit then. Like you could have just gone up from the seat you were sitting in and walked right to your bedroom instead of going back outside. But each time you went out and went out until you hit your goal, which was a hundred miles, which I'd never ran before. And, uh, just everything I did the whole year leading up to that was, man, in the swim, in the swim. When you feel this in the swim, when this happens in the swim, you're going to, like, just everything was the swim. And uh, so when you, when you bring all these people out and, again, you get to the exact same spot you did the year before, it's uh, it was painful, man. Like, it sucked just sitting in the water there knowing that you failed again and – and this time it felt like I had fixed a lot of the problems that I had the year before, which was awesome. I went with a sleeveless wetsuit, so it 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 stopped around my like chest area here, so my whole arm was open, um, which left that chafing area of my shoulders to be better. Um, and then I had external sleeves that went probably up to about my shoulder here. Um, so it left my shoulder area open, so there was no chafing, but everywhere else was covered. And, and then we also did, uh, equate diaper rash cream on my body and Vaseline was the lubricant. And we found that mixture really worked. I practiced it in training and I'd apply it every hour when I ate my food as well. And for, for the food eating, it was on this floating platter of uh, styrofoam that they'd push out to me from the kayaks and I'd grab my food and eat it. And when I do that, I would also grab, uh, grab my, my Vaseline and stuff. Um, but yeah, it just, it just didn't, didn't really matter this year because I fixed that problem and didn't have chafing, but another problem arose, which I didn't have the year before. So I fixed the chafing issues that I had year one and I had no shoulder issues year one. And then year two, I had no chafing issues, but I had shoulder issues. So it was like, man, I like, what can I do here? Like it felt so like I was just at a loss. And again, I had done all these things that gave me confidence in the off season. And then it, I just got my confidence beaten down again. It was like, this is the one thing I can't do, man. Like I cannot do this. I don't know why. Um, and a lot of these projects, they take time to get over. And I knew, I knew, I knew I would not be able to let this thing go. I just knew it. I knew at one point in my life, I was going to have to do this swim. But to be honest, I did not want to swim worth a damn after that second attempt. I thought I'm taking time off swimming I remember I did a, a cycling trip uh, where I ate nothing but Hornby organic bars. Um, 
for a week straight, cycling from Kelowna to Hornby Island, and uh, ended up getting a Hornby Organic sponsorship off of that, which was pretty awesome. And they they're still supporting me, so thank you, Hornby. And then uh, I remember going to the states and doing some trips there just by myself, and uh, and uh, I also got into. Um, I got into skydiving around that time. So that was a lifelong goal I've always had. And uh, it was a cool process to go through and, and, uh, a cool sport to be in now and learning in a different community than that of the endurance people or, or, uh, other friends I have, but it's, uh, it's a really rewarding experience. Um, so yeah, I did some different things and then, uh, Last summer, 2022 came around, and I was dabbling with the idea of doing it. Um, but in February of that year, I did my probably biggest expedition to date, which was a 51-day trek across Mexico from Cabo San Lucas all the way up the Baja and down and around to Cancun. Um, I hit the lowest spot in the country, Laguna Salada, up by Mexicali, and... Then I also climbed Pico de Orizaba, which is the highest point in the country, third highest point in North America. It's a it's a, a volcano there in Mexico, and uh, this project gave me a massive amount of confidence. It was self-planned, self-trained. Everything was uh, done by me and self-filmed. I made a documentary on it. It's on my YouTube channel as well, and um, that gave me a lot of confidence, man, and that was some of the best experience I've had in my life. I've I forever loved Mexico. Went through so many places that people would say, don't go through, it's dangerous. I met nothing but the nicest people. One person tried to rob me for my boots, but uh, we did not let him rob me for my boots. We stood up for ourselves, and uh, and maybe I have stuff to thank for like my experiences in Kelowna for that. So um, you never know, but made it through healthy, happy, and most robust I've been. And went back to Kelowna to work on my boat rental company for the summer. And I got pushed off the road by a car while I was cycling into the ditch and smashed my foot. And got x-rays and misdiagnosed, x-rays, misdiagnosed, nothing wrong. And then I got an MRI about a month and a half later because I could not walk. I just was excruciating pain, like couldn't do anything. Found out I had a Liz Frank fracture in my right foot, which is... If you don't know, it's a pretty brutal fracture to have. Um, usually surgery, you get surgery right away. I talked to a surgeon. They said if this was acute, if they caught it right when it happened, they would have done surgery. But it's been so long that they didn't want to. So I got booted up for 12 weeks. Couldn't cycle, couldn't do anything. And then I, if I wanted to train, I was swimming. So I would hobble to the pool with my broken foot. And I would put a pull buoy in between my legs. I'd take my boot off and I would swim just with my upper body. And I'd push off the wall with my left foot. And then that's all I did, man. All I did was swim and swim and swim and swim and swim. And I started um, to think about projects to do. And I had such a great base of training. At this point, my foot was starting to heal and get better and better. And, uh, I I had this this uh project lined up. I'm not going to exactly say it and say what it is, but um cuz I'm planning to do it in the future and I don't want to give it away, but 
Um, and it was in Hawaii, and I had everything planned to do this probably around February um, of 2023. I was planning to do it, and sponsors lined up and payment and then the support captain I was arranging to do it with had to double the price in US dollars at the very end which it would have been around 30,000 US dollars to do that and I just couldn't really justify doing that um would have emptied my pockets for sure trying to do that and sponsors and everything so um all my swim training just it was obviously no, not wasted, but I just didn't get the validation of doing a project that I wanted to, um, was training for and, and swimming to me is I love going for runs. It's easy. Just throw my shoes and go cycling's awesome. You get to cover this the countries and continents at the speed of a bicycle. And it's, it's unreal to take it in and swimming for me is it's very rewarding when it's done, but it's, it's, it's a mundane thing. Let's be honest. Your, your face in the water, you're, you're battling your mind more than anything. You can't have music while you're out there. Well, some people have headphones. I've never swam with headphones or anything. So it's very intrinsic for me, swimming. It's it's the thing that I have, like, a home. I get emotional talking about it. I have a weird relationship with swimming. It's, like, it's the thing that I hate the most, but I owe probably the most in my life to. Um yeah, it's taught me the most lessons for sure. It's uh, something you gotta respect, man. Like swimming is the hardest thing physically I've ever done. It takes so long to get good at technique wise, and uh, and you have to respect Mother Nature, man. Like I've done not as much ocean and swimming and training as I wanted to, but. I have a mad respect for the ocean and as well, even just for something like Okanagan Lake, that thing can change like that and it, it can humble you in a second. It can take lives away. It takes lives away every single summer. Um, even that summer before when I, right around the time I broke my foot, I was out there with some friends and uh, just happened to be swimming and I'm very confident in the water and a couple of them came out in rough waters and just uh, weren't prepared with life jackets and stuff and two of them started going down. So we, I pulled one in and then was pulling the second one in and trying to keep my head up with them both while the boat came in and we got saved that day with the boat came in and I had been able to hold them up long enough. But, um, that very same day, somebody died on the lake. They fell in the water and, and drowned. So like this stuff can kill you. Right. But it's, uh, and and I know there's a lot of feelings out there about doing dangerous stuff or risk versus reward, but I uh, I do a lot of things I do not by chance or by uh, mistake. Like I have a very methodically thought out plan for a lot of things I do. Um, a lot of the uh, I have the three big A's for me: as athletics, um, adventure, and. Um, adrenaline so all three of those i like to tie in together and adrenaline for me things like skydiving i did a lot of rooftoping as a as a young buck or i'd hang off buildings and things like that and looking back at it's like man you're literally holding your life in your hand and that is probably the stupidest thing you can do but it gave me a confidence that nobody else could take away from me that 
in order to do some shit that nobody's doing, you have to do some shit that nobody's doing. And again, I'm not telling anybody to do that. Do not do that. It is stupid. But I'm saying the way I would deal with being in situations where I could die is getting used to being in situations where I could die and getting comfortable being in there. Um, so I have a mad respect for the water, like I was saying, and, uh, I was, I was hoping to do that Hawaii endeavor and I, I'm going to at some point in the future here. I'm excited for it, but it didn't work out at the time. So then we, uh, I kind of got a little salty at swimming. I was kind of done with it for a little while. I started getting back into running and slowly increasing my, uh, mileage and everything. And then, uh, uh, I don't know how it happened, but I got a stress fracture in my femur, my left femur. So um, the surgeon said it was one of the strangest places he's ever seen. It's usually you get that in car crashes and stuff like that. It's a pretty hard bone to break. Um, but anyways, I had got it. So again, I was back to swimming uh, if I wanted to do any exercise. So from probably, um, yeah, since last summer of 2022, uh, I probably had like one month there where I didn't really swim, but other than that, it's been straight swim training. And uh, as soon as I broke my leg and uh, got that stress fracture in February, I uh, I made my goal that 2023 I was going to swim this damn lake, and I was going to get it done. And uh, at the time, throughout that winter, I was doing a firefighting course, getting my NFPA 1001 and uh, 1076 or whatever the hazmat one is. So it's your basic firefighter training and your hazmat training. And, uh, so I did the online course for that. I was supposed to do my practical in person is, uh, two weeks on two weeks off, two weeks on. So a month of total time over a month and a half in, uh, on away, Alberta, uh, the Canadian fire rescue college. And, um, I couldn't go cause my leg was injured. So I got all that push to the summer and all I did was train 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 throughout the winter I started this podcast um did a few other things went to uh yeah a few trips I went on and um but swimming was my main priority I'm telling you man this bus is hot it keeps overheating my cameras but uh anyways I was saying swimming was my main priority throughout that winter and then Summer came, started up my boat rental company again because it's seasonal and uh, rock the boat rentals. Uh, shout out. And uh, anyways, by the time that uh, by the time that uh, summer came around, I was starting to plan this swim again more seriously. Obviously been planning on it, but like getting to the logistical part of it. But i uh, been training hard, hard throughout the whole winter. I remember doing a, a training session in the winter where I did uh, basically like one kilometer every half an hour. Um, so I'd do like 20 minutes swimming, 10 minutes off, 20 minutes swimming, 10 minutes off for a full day. I did like a 30-kilometer swim in the pool that day. And I remember just getting like some good confidence in me being like, hell yeah, I'm getting back, like getting this feeling back. It was probably the longest swim I've done other than the two big attempts that I've had the uh, previous years of 2020 and 2021. So it was cool to see that progress and the training level that I was still able to hold. Um, then we got to the summer and I had to do this firefighting up in Onaway. So it was an awesome experience to go up there and do this. And 
learning experience and meeting different people and gaining crews and friends up there and everything. But while I was there, I was in a spot where I couldn't swim. And leading up to a swim attempt like this, I remember like talking with my my uh, coach Luke there and everything, and he was saying, yeah, you probably need to like hold around 40 kilometers a week at, at the minimum to get the amount of training structure you need in your shoulders, your ligaments, your tendons, everything to be able to be healthy enough to complete something like this so that what happened last time with your shoulder doesn't happen again. And I was doing tons of work with tubing and trying to strengthen like internal rotation, external rotation, your rotator cuff, um, doing all sorts of stuff, stabilization, shoulder mobility, just everything I could to combat the issues I had in the previous years and use all that information that I've gained from the previous attempts to my advantage in this one, the 2023 attempt. So, um, yeah, I, I went up there for firefighting and it was around two weeks. The first time I didn't get any swimming in, but I met a uh, buddy, Apollo, who used to be an army sniper and him and I were ripping the card push-up workout where you flip a card and do the mount push-ups and hop on your back and do flutter kicks times four for the amount of the card was and just run through the deck with that. And I was running up there with him and I was doing uh, lots of tubing each night off the fire engines and everything and just trying to do anything I could to to uh, to keep some training level up. And then got back to Kelowna, did some good solid training, swam around uh, Wood Lake, swam uh, Lake Kalmalka, did lots of training there, and then I had to go back out to Onaway, which was, honestly, it was it was the month before uh, the swim attempt. Our, my swim was starting on August 1st, and I was out in in um, in Onaway the first two weeks of July. And, and that was really nerve-wracking to me because at this point, um, I had put a reel out online uh, on Instagram, and it got... Right now, I think it's at 1.4 million views, and my account went from 1,200 followers to I'm just around 20,000 followers now, and it got uh, quite a lot of publicity, and uh, I got more sponsors for the swim. I got, uh, I had obviously my personal sponsors of Hornby Organic and Koros Canada. Shout Koros, the watch brand, um, but. Uh, I got bigger sponsors for help with like a backscape was one and they helped with uh, with the support boat. So they they paid for things like support boat and uh, and my company Rockable Rentals was was sponsoring it uh, with the other support boat and and uh, I had other other sponsors coming in and and uh, news and uh, big publicity and all this like build up for it and and I was in Onaway, Alberta, or Alberta Beach, Alberta, not swimming. And though I was doing something very productive in the learning the firefighting course, I was so worried because I felt like I have all these people counting on me to be at my best on the day of, and here I was not training to what I thought I should have. So I was really torn whether I should go up there and finish or just stick with swimming. I ended up going and honoring my commitments, but it was, it was weighing on me heavy, like some long days and you just get done. And, and, uh, I mean, we were lucky the second time I was up there, I was in Alberta beach and I was, I was, uh, I was able to go swimming in Alberta or Lake, uh, Lake St. Anne there, but it was, I only did one swim because it was, 
it's so musty and gross, kind of that water. If you've been up there and there were dead seagulls floating in the water beside me and just, I just didn't want to get a bacterial infection or something like the, a couple of weeks before the swim. So I chose not to, to swim there, but I was doing anything I could, man, using old fire hose to do battle ropes outside the station. And like, I had uh, borrowed a VESA trainer from uh, our coach, my coach Luke there and uh, was was just practicing, pulling, uh, like going through a swim stroke as much as I could, but I could only do that for so long for my shoulders. Felt like they're wearing out. It, it kind of stresses them different than swimming. So, yeah, man, it was it was tough, like uh, feeling like you're, you're not doing what you're supposed to be, and then that didn't give me a lot of confidence going into the swim because I'd, I'd failed it before when I was just doing nothing but swimming. And here I was having an awesome swimming season and off season and doing a lot more than I had the years before, obviously. But here I am a month out and I'm not doing what I'm supposed to. And I, I'm i a huge UFC fan and Sugar Sean O'Malley fan. And he just won the title. And I remember him talking on his podcast about how he wasn't able to do grappling or anything for six weeks prior and uh, how it feels not confidence-inducing that you you – aren't doing what you're supposed to be because your body won't allow you to. And in my situation, it wasn't my body. It was just my circumstances and prior commitments. But I uh, didn't have a lot of confidence, to be quite honest with you. Um, but all I had to fall back on was was the mindset I built um, over doing things like my America ride, my Mexico ride, um, these 100-mile uh, runs, these, these other swims, these putting myself in – situations where I can die just having all these things come together um that's all I had to go off so I had to go off the training I had the muscle memory the the thing I the thing I built the structure and then I had to go off my mindset which I felt like I've foraged over the past kind of five years I've been in in endurance sports but um yeah man leading up to this swim I was nervous um and I built my crew, and this year in my crew, a um, couple big players that, that had helped me in the previous, they had prior commitments, so they couldn't be there. Uh, Luke and Stacy, my, my crew chiefs in the previous, but I got a Jackson Jerome, Action Jackson. He filled in as the, the crew chief this year, and uh, what a guy. Like uh, he, he helped a lot with this project, and, and I flew um, my brother-in-law Dave out from Maine so I had some family out here from in the states and I got a lot of uh people that had helped me in the swim before obviously tons of Kelowna friends and people but then bringing other friends that I know like my buddy Spencer uh he came out and uh, uh just people who who I knew I could count their mindset they may have not been like expert kayakers or been endurance athletes themselves but I know I can count on them because I've trusted them in the past and they've been there for me in moments that I've needed them to be. So that was kind of how I built my crew this year. It wasn't based off who's the best at this role. It's who's the best person that I could find and that I know I'd be able to count on. And uh, I slotted them in. So my crew was fucking awesome this year. And uh, I can't thank any, any, any of them enough. Like... Yeah, man, they helped me a lot this year. They did a lot for me. So, um, built that crew out. Used the same damn, same damn document that I've used for the past three three attempts. I have a swim logistics uh, 
Excel sheet where I built the built the the order that everybody would come out in and built uh, built everything like that. So um, use the same damn sheet. Uh, just edited the year, edited the names, and uh, built that out. And we're sticking the same format where we'd have crews come in and out and switch every uh, every eight hours. So it uh, it was pretty awesome though. Um, gaining all that support before from from online and then doing all these interviews and everything. And I chose uh, I chose CMHA of Kelowna, uh, Canadian Mental Health Association of Kelowna, to be my charity. Uh, I know going through things I've been through as far as endurance and everything. And uh, I know how much mindset plays a factor. It's probably 90% of it, to be quite honest, um, if not 99% of it. But um, I know how your mind can also betray you. Um, So I've had a lot of dark times personally, so I know how important it is having people you can talk to and uh, having that support. So that was charity I chose. And it was as simple as, hey, I'm doing this thing. Would you guys be interested in making a fundraising link for me? And they say, hell yeah. So we did that, lined it up, got all the logistics ready. No fighting downtown this time. Got uh, got uh, pretty straight and narrow, I guess you could say. And then uh, about a few days before, my parents came into town from Calgary and we got an Airbnb together because I've been living in my school bus. So it was nice to be able to get a shower that wasn't at the pool and kind of sleep in a little bit of AC and live in the life of luxury. And, uh, yeah, man, just got ready. Uh, Dave flew out from, from uh, around Boston area, Old Orchard Beach, Maine, and uh, he helped my dad and me and my mom get everything ready, put the sponsor's logos on the kayaks and get the kayak set up, get our support boat, get that all set up. They rigged up uh, a little bathroom that was uh, a Home Depot bucket with a uh, with the toilet seat on it. They rigged up like a, a canopy for the support boat, uh, pontoon boat and everything. And uh, then uh, that day before, it feels like I, when I make that list of what I need to do, there's so many things. And then it feels like the day before, up until the hours before is when everything finally comes together. There's You look at the list and there's three quarters of things left to do with one day left. And you say, holy, like... <laughs> Am I going to be ready for this thing? And then that last day is super busy. Um, probably the day you want to be off your feet and not busy, but it tends to be the day that's the busiest. So um, got into bringing my sport boat to Vernon and uh, leaving it or at the starting point and uh, leaving it there. And then we've been the past two attempts uh, shuttling my crew out in the morning so we didn't have to worry about driving the boat down on the lake in the morning. So we got the boat all loaded up the day before and had to pick up some things and uh, had to get my other sport boat into its stall, uh, ready to go out and all this stuff and getting prepared. And then I uh, headed out to um, headed out to uh, to Vernon in my bus that uh, that night uh, by myself. Every other year, my parents have stayed out there in their vehicle next to me. But this year, I just said, everybody come out in the morning. I got shuttles to bring people out at 2 a.m., be there for 3 a.m. Um, but I wanted to go out alone this year. So I took my bus out and uh, parked it on the nice people's property that let me start. And uh, 
and that night before is it's a it's a special mindset you got to get in um i'm in here in my bus and as simple as it is it really does feel like a home to me i've spent a lot of time in this bus have a lot of memories in here and uh this bus has given me more than i could ever repay it so um i've had some of the most painful memories in my life in this bus like picking it up after my first attempt and i could barely even drive because my shoulders are so bad and painful and um but i've had awesome experiences a lot of the times i finish my runs and everything i'll give a slap on the hood when i finish and and uh this bus is pretty special the bus and all my friends and family know the bus and uh it uh it's a staple so spending the night in here alone the night before is always uh just try and get your mind right and breathe and relax and i got hundreds of messages the night before and i'm trying to answer everybody but i appreciate the support but at a certain point you got to kind of just uh let all that go and dial it in and get ready and i didn't get much sleep never do i got a little bit uh sleep the night before which was probably a good sleep i had the night before that's an important sleep to get because you're not going to get much the night of if any um I got just did some rolling out, some some use my massage gun, just getting mentally prepared, and uh, I had taken care of all the tasks I kind of needed to, and it was just uh, hanging out. So I was I was planning to get up around two thirty a.m. I think I went to bed around eleven thirty, so probably only around three hours of sleep, if you can call it sleep. Um, just kind of laying there, and uh, I I remember thinking you get so nervous before this that. Um, I almost don't even want to do it. Like I have this sickness feeling in my stomach and uh, it's just you want everything to go right so bad. Like you've put so much effort in and time and money and uh, yeah, but that's where coming mentally strong comes in in handy and uh, that's what I train for is to manage those feelings of emotion and uh, that's like I said, all those previous experiences I had, that's what I had to lean on. And, uh, I got, uh, I got, uh, <laughs> probably an extra, extra half an hour of sleep. Um, my crew didn't get there till three, three fifteen ish. And then I remember seeing headlights on the, the window of my bus and getting out. And all of a sudden there they were, the whole crew. So some people hadn't even met each other yet, uh, I hadn't even met a few of the crew members yet. I just talked to them online and uh but uh I knew I knew the kind of people they were and uh I knew I could count on them. So I kind of did a bit of, a bit of an introduction at the start and then uh it was more or less the crew just putting their stuff on the boat and getting ready and uh and uh me just doing a little bit of a warm up and then and then the the documentary crew, the videographers, TMS Productions, who's been with me for this whole project. Uh, we're making a documentary, so stay tuned for that. Hopefully it'll be out around next summer. Um, I'll keep everybody updated, but we have everything I've ever filmed from attempt one to attempt uh, three over four years. So um, that was a uh, a big thing to have have set and uh, and ready. So um, they have to come and film me getting ready and everything. So you take the equate diaper ash cream, and I always tell them, give me like 
give me a minute. I got to do my lower half first. And, uh, this year I wore, uh, that sleeveless Roco wetsuit again. Uh, same one I've used the year before a new wetsuit, but same, uh, model and brand. Um, so I went, uh, I went nothing under it this year, just completely nude. Whereas last year I, or two years ago and my second attempt, I wore a, a swimsuit underneath just a little speedo. Um, and the very first year I wore Nike pro combats, which was hell cause that chafed everything. So this year I decided I'm just going to go nude. Um, <laughs> but you dig your hand into the equate diaper rash cream, you grab it and then you just slap her on and just start rubbing everywhere. You can imagine, like I said before, everywhere you don't want cream. There's cream. <laughs> you put it all over as a base. And then I put um, Vaseline as my uh, kind of lubricant on top of that. So I put that on, put my lower half on, then my mom came in and helped me do my back, and I was doing my shoulders and neck and everything, and they were, TMS was filming me, and uh, and uh, Aiden had to fill in for uh, uh, for some filming as well, so he was there filming, and, uh, and then, yeah, I got my wetsuit done up, get my arm sleeves on, um, and I put my swim cap on, my goggles, and then I grab a little bag uh, with some shoes and my phone charger and uh, a shirt and stuff like that just to have at the other end, hopefully in Penticton. And uh, the previous two times, I didn't have it in Penticton. I had it in Kelowna because that's where I got pulled out of the water. So I was hoping this time when I gave my bag to my mom that she'd be giving it to me in Penticton. And then... Uh, yeah, once you get that wetsuit on, man, it's it's almost a good time to go. So started walking down the dock, and uh, this dock that I've walked down now three times, and actually, I'll I'll just touch on one thing quick. Four times, if you if you count, twenty twenty two summer when I broke my foot, I took my pack raft from the point in Vernon where I start most northern point of the lake and i did i paddled to penticton so what really started this whole thing off with my first kayak to the bridge and then thinking i might kayak the whole lake i did it in my pack raft took me 34 and a half hours um <laughs> didn't when i got to the end i couldn't even stand up like i was trying to stand up and my my buddy malm and ken they were there pick me up and he was filming me i couldn't stand up and sitting for 34 hours but that was that was a huge 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 uh part of this project because it, it allowed me to realize that hey i can do this whole lake in one shot i can do it with my own power in one shot um, i went through a full day a full night and then a full day again and finished in the evening which would be around the time of the swim hopefully around 40 hours so i was guessing this this paddle was 20 or 34 hours so i went through some gnarly headwinds and i almost got blown over and had to bail out the raft and worked on my nutrition and worked on going through the night and seeing hallucinations and worked on all this stuff, right? Worked on everything, the whole route and sighting and everything and did it all by myself. And I was super, super proud, filmed it all. It's also on my YouTube channel. And, uh, that gave me a lot of confidence. So as well, when I didn't have much confidence going into the swim this year, because my confidence was just low because of the training things I'd mentioned previously in this podcast, but that was something I had to rely on and that was something I had to fall back on. So that was a big thing, big part of it as well. Um, so I got to the, 
here we are back in, on the 2023 attempt, my third attempt, and uh, reading my uh, reading my thing for Guinness World Records, and a big flock of birds flew behind me, just saying, how are you now? Just giving us a little bit of a, a good luck, good luck while we were uh, getting started in the sunrise and everything, and uh, then I uh, said bye to people, dapped some people up, gave my mom a hug, and... Uh, then I make the walk to that board where I start. So it's the right on the edge of their property. And uh, I had a podcast that uh, me and Jesse podcast, it's called. They had me on and Mark from there was talking. And uh, this was after the podcast was done, after I was off of it. But they were still talking. And they, they were talking about me and the attempt and everything. And this is probably a month before. And I remember Mark saying, there's no luck in it. Um, Nick's going to know when he stands on that starting point looking towards Penticton. Or I couldn't see Penticton, but looking that way, he's going to know whether he's going to finish it or not. Right there in that moment, he's going to know. And I had all this doubt, and I had all this lack of confidence, and I had all this previous history over the past four years leading up to this very moment when we gave the two-minute countdown, the one-minute countdown, the 10-second countdown, you start counting down. 10, 9, 8, and you're breathing. You're looking out there. You're feeling your body. You're feeling this the, the board under your feet. You're just looking ahead, and it goes 7, 6, 5, getting ready. You're seeing your crew. Everybody's stoked. It goes 4, 3, 2, 1. You just take that breath, and you hear people say, Go! horn blows and then it's begun and like you think how do you prepare yourself to be in the water for two days straight like what mindset do you get in to do that it really is you just can't think about it you just you take that first step you jump in you get going you can't think of it as a 106 kilometer swim has to be it has to be 106 one kilometer swims the one you just did doesn't exist. It's done. It's over. You are where you are in the water. The one ahead doesn't exist unless you get through the one you're on. So you need to focus on the moment. You have to be goal-motivated and process-oriented. And you need to uh, just focus on the task at hand. And that was what I did. I jumped in, sunk up to about my knees and, and cow and bird shit and uh, mud and muck. And again, there's an E. coli warning and uh, ban on swimming, but... I'm a bad boy, so I uh, broke that ban and uh, went in there and started just kind of wading my way through the water and weeds and everything. I keep my head out for probably about, honestly, probably about the first kilometer. Just trying to get past most of the bad stuff in the water at the start. Every time I'd eat for the first, like, 10 kilometers, I'd rinse with Listerine before just to try and kill some bacteria. But started out and... uh yeah, one of my best friends, Spencer, was there next to me, and I remember, man, just saying, like, doing the David Goggins stuff, who's going to carry the boats and the logs, and they don't know me, son, just stuff like that, just, like, keeping morale high and just stoked, man, just, like I said, it's such a weight off your shoulders to get started, it's like, you work and work and work, it's an ultra event itself to get to the starting point of this thing, and then all of a sudden, here it is, you're there. The clock has started, time's ticking, and you just do what you know how to do best, man. You just 
turn your brain off as much as possible and just let your body do its thing. And then when you need to tap into your brain and rely on it, then you do that. But try and let muscle memory take over and just uh, get in a groove in a zone. So it's going down that lake, had some pretty, uh, pretty cool sunrise, uh, sunrise shots of everything. And, uh, yeah, man, just a lot of these things I've done, these endurance events, they feel real lonely. Um, you're out there, especially if you're in places where there's literally nobody around and there's, it's storming and you feel lonely, man. Like you really do feel lonely. And, uh, I felt lonely in parts of this swim, even with people around me, you get lonely in your own mind, but it felt really nice having friends and family there. That, like, I love these people so much and, uh, they're there supporting me and that, that means the world to me, man. So having them by my side at the start, it means a ton. And, uh, especially my parents, like uh, my dad's been out there for all three attempts and he didn't even leave the boat at all for any of these attempts. Um, my mom's, uh, our on land support and she's held down the fort on the land, bringing people food and everything and, and, uh, getting things lined up from the shore point of view for all three attempts as well. So couldn't think, thank them enough for being there for me and all the other crew. And then, uh, so we, we got going though. We were going down the lake that first, that first arm. And oh my gosh, man, I told myself while I was doing that first arm, this is the last time I'm swimming this damn arm. I'd swam it up. This was my third time swimming it. I paddled it one time before. I love the people at the end of the lake there, but man, I don't ever want to go back to that property. I started there so much and had so much mental torment come from there. And, and, uh, I was hoping to just go back to pick my bus up victorious. So I was saying this is the last time I'm swimming this leg and, uh, felt like one of those maps where, or when you're going and uh, you're following the line and it, it starts changing color, you have a line ahead of you. It's a different color than the line that's falling behind you. Um, so it felt like I was doing that, man, covering ground. I love tangible progress. I love going from point A to point B and C in that progress. It, so it fuels me and feeds me and it makes me feel like I'm making ground. So, uh, but, but honestly, when you, when you start an endeavor like this, you have high morale at the start, but you have low momentum. So, as your energy and your morale and things lower as the swim gets longer, your momentum raises because you have more that you've done. You have more building and you have to, you have to be able to manage these things as you go and rely on the fact that you're going to be lower in energy, but this momentum you have building is going to become a, a snowball rolling down a hill and it's going to be an unstoppable force that just keeps going and going and going. So, uh, yeah, we uh, we were starting down there, but it is really tough when you're in the water and you do one kilometer or one hour, let's say three kilometers. That was a pace I was trying to hold around uh, two two minute hundred meters, which is twenty minute kilometers, and that's uh, three kilometers an hour. That was that was a pace I was trying to hold, and that would give us some time on the record plus time to eat and all that. So that was the pace I was trying to hold. And uh, but when you get done that first kilometer. Or first hour, sorry, and then you get done the second hour, and you say, "Oh man, that's like a, it's like a a normal day of swimming there, like a six six kilometer couple hour session, and and that's the point where you still have a hundred kilometers left. <laughs> I'm just getting to the point where I'm just now hitting double digits left, ninety nine. I still have a hundred kilometers left, triple digits. So obviously it uh it got to the point there that uh, 
you can't really think about that. Like I said, you got to just, uh, on my mind, it does skip ahead and you think about it, but you really do have focus in the moment and try and just focus where you're at. And I remember at the very start, Spencer, him and I were saying, one of the big sayings we said was, uh, two days for the rest of your life or two days forever. You're going to suffer for these two days. And it's going to be hell. You're going to go to places that you've never been, but you're going to be enshrined. If not in other people's minds, in your own mind forever, you're never going to you're going to have respect for yourself forever that you stayed through this thing and you got it done. And after three attempts, four years of all this stuff going wrong and failures and everything, and you stuck it out and you got it. And this was these two days forever, these two days for the rest of your life. And man, that's what we were going off, man. That was our mantra. That's what we were going by. So we're going down the lake. And I remember one of my first feedings, one of my biggest idols and uh, motivations for doing stuff like this is Ross Edgley. If you guys don't know him, he's uh, probably the best ultra swimmer on earth. He swam around mainland Great Britain, 157 days. Absolute savage of a man. Um, and he does this thing where he, he got thrown bananas while he was in the water, and he'd snag them out of the air while he was, uh, while he was swimming. And uh, he'd just pop them in the water. And uh, I remember <laughs> we, did a, we did a video like that. They threw me a banana in the water, and uh, we tagged Ross, and he responded like, Brobarian, uh, Poseidon, or something, something like that, like legend. And that guy, they said, man, Ross responded. And I remember just being stoked, like, oh, hell yeah. I would love to at one point do something with Ross, and uh, hopefully in the future that, that comes to fruition. I'd love to. And, uh, but that was cool, getting uh, get a boost from him while I was out there. And uh, – a big thing that also led to me feeling kind of not as confident in myself leading up to this swim was indeed watching Ross. He was going for the longest straight swim in human history, uh, which is, I think he was going for around 180 kilometers, somewhere around there. Uh, he was doing it in a lake in Italy, and this was his second attempt at it. He did it in Loch Ness the year prior and had cellulitis and kidney failure, and he was going for days straight and, didn't reach his goal, but an absolute savage of a man and and something that anybody can take inspiration from. So when he did his second attempt in Italy, it was the opposite. It was hot temperatures, and he said uh, almost getting to 50 degrees Celsius. The water was getting up to 30 degrees Celsius. So he ended up going 70 kilometers, 33 hours in the water. And I remember when he got pulled out of the water there because of that, um, and he was – he was healthier this time, thank goodness uh, for that. And uh, but I remember thinking to myself, man, I'm a one week away from my from my event. One week, that's it. And uh, the best swimmer on earth for ultra distance, he had to be pulled at 70, and I'm trying to go, I'm trying to go 106. And obviously Ross has done longer than that before, but his most recent one, that's that's what he got to. And I was thinking, how am I going to do that, man? If if, if he got to 70k, how am I going to get to 106? But I thought, man, I, I when I look at it and I look at the lake as a whole and I'm looking at it from the outside, I can't. Like, it looks so big to me. I just cannot imagine it. But when I keep my head down and I just literally focus on that little trailing light in front of me or I just focus on the green water looking down and just focus on one kilometer at a time, if you keep your eyes focused right in front of you and you, you just piece together a lot of little moments, then that's where these big moments are made of. So you uh, – and – and just moving forward like that, it's uh, it's basically the only way you can do it. It's such a big undertaking. You can't you can't think of it as a whole. You got to think of it in parts. So, 
I got a big boost from when uh, Ross said that, though, and uh, and uh, yeah. So on onwards we went down the water or down the lake, and uh, yeah, we uh, we got to the end of that little point where uh, it's that thirteen kilometer stretch down that arm. Got it done. I'm never going to do that again. Thank goodness. And uh, there's these two like big boats there that we always go by. They're kind of landmarks. Um, TMS would throw the drone up. You kind of for Guinness, you had to get landmark points or milestone points that are are not- notable in in whatever you're doing. So those points we always got the drone out. It's cool getting some drone footage and then uh, made our way across uh, where the lake from the Vernon side from Ken Beach and the the most northern point arm they meet and it gets into the lake where it gets bigger. And then we started heading down that way, making good time on record time and above, like, uh, or below, I guess I should say, faster than record time uh, until about 21-ish kilometers in was my first crew change. So uh, making really good time. Eight hours in, the crew switched, and then dun-da-da-dun, 25K in, not even a quarter of the way. I, all of a sudden, and it came on quick, came on probably within one or two kilometers. I was so worried about my left arm because uh, that's the one I gave out two years before. And all of a sudden, my right arm, toast. Just rotator cuff impingement again. Can't lift it. Can't get a high catch. Can't move it forward. Just dead in the water. Dead. Absolutely dead. And uh, that was pretty nerve-wracking because... Here I was, not even at the point where I made it last time. This is less than training swims I've done. I'm not even at 30 kilometers yet, and my shoulder gave out. And I don't know what it is. I don't know why or what reasoning or what, but it did. It gave out. But a big part of my training this year was two years ago when I when I had that issue come on, um, I in my shoulder, I wasn't prepared that if something were to happen, what do I do? Like, I was almost dead in the water. Like, I'd never practiced other strokes. Obviously, I knew I'd do other strokes, but I never practiced, like, swimming with one arm or side stroke or backstroke. Or, it was always just front crawl in the water. And this past year, I made it a note and a point that there's a good possibility that my arms and shoulders give out again. So I'm hoping to um, do some different training. So I did lots of different side stroke, backstroke, breaststroke, front crawl, um, anything, anything to just move forward in the water. So when my shoulder did fail at around 25 kilometers in this time, I was ready. I was, I knew it was going to happen. It wasn't a panic this time. It was like, okay, let's think about this logically now. What can I do? I started doing backstroke. I did that for 10 kilometers, did backstroke for 10K. It really slowed down, but it gave me confidence that, hey, I'm moving forward. So I remember talking with Jackson saying, hey, man, this swim might go longer than we were expecting. At that point when I did the backstroke, I kind of just, in my mind, I kind of knew the record was done. Um, Adam, when he did it, he made it to Rattlesnake Island, which is about three quarters of the way through without getting his major injury. And then his arm gave out and it took him, I think, 11 hours from Rattlesnake. Um, or I'm not sure how long, but it took him a, quite a bit longer from Rattlesnake Island to continue. But he was three quarters of the way through. Mine gave out a quarter of the way through. So I was guessing, hey, I'm not going to get this record. But there was nothing uh, stopping me from continuing because this thing's been so intrinsically motivating for me for all this time. And like I said, 
all those nights of me sitting on my edge of my bed in the middle of winter, windows open, fan on, naked, just like trying to get as cold as I can and just close my eyes and get like in the moment and just get used to that feeling of unescapable cold and just get used to feeling your breath and get used to not panicking in those situations that uh that was that was the intrinsic motivation man it was going through not having to go through another year of mental torment and relaying everything i do to this swim and yeah this thing was never about the record um the record was very cool for me a cherry on top swimming this lake was the goal and uh having the record and putting the things in order to get the record was important. I wanted to do that because if I got the record, I wanted to be rewarded for that and have the record, which would have been awesome. But that was never the reason I went. I know a lot of people after, after swim asked me like, what kept you going when the record fell or you didn't get the record? And yeah, it was never about the record. It was, it was always intrinsically motivated. I think that's the only way you can do stuff like this. If you're doing it for external motivations, you're you're not going to get far, man. Like, if you're doing it for money, if you're doing it for fame, if you're doing it for any of that, you are doing it for the wrong reasons. You got to love this shit because a lot of times it sucks and you're going to go through hell. And the only thing that's got to keep you there is your why. And you got to have an important why. And uh, I guess for me, my why is... Yeah, in every every day normal life, I guess I live through like a, on a on a bad side, maybe a four, three or four, good side, maybe a six, seven. I don't know, like some good laughs with buddies, six, seven, seven, eight, somewhere in there. Obviously, you have unreal days in your life, and obviously you have terrible days when people die and family members die. And my my dog Zeke died this past year, and that was a tough day. That's like a one, but um. Yeah, on a scale of 1 to 10, when you do ultra, that's why I love ultra so much, is if it's a two-day, three-day event, in these three days, you're you're going from these high feelings of awesome uh, motivation and morale with your crew at the start, and then it starts to dip, 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 dip. When you hit a low, like your shoulder gives out, and oh my gosh, I still got over 80 kilometers to go. How am I going to do this? But then oh, I build a little bit back up with backstroke and then all the way through. It's this and this, up and down. And you will experience the lowest of lows, and I'll talk about those in a bit. Lowest of lows on the end, those are one of ones, man. Those are terrible, terrible, terrible times. But then that feeling that you get at the end, those moments, and I'll talk about that, That's uh, those are those rare moments in life. So that's kind of my why, I guess. So that's what I'm holding when my shoulder gives out. That's what I'm holding in my core. That's why I do this shit, man. This shit means a lot to me. This is my passion. This is what I want to be the best at. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to be a conqueror of the natural world. I want to take on events and challenges and things that nobody has ever done. I want to be be the one to give people motivation. I want to be doing it for the ones who can't. That's why I do this. I love it, man. I love it. So when you're in that moment and you're embracing that, that's how you got to do it. You got to embrace that pain when things go wrong. And obviously you just got to figure out a way forward. I like 
being a problem solver, and I like problem solvers around me. So I inquire with my team, I tread water while I'm eating, and we just figure out a plan. So backstroke it is for now. I was only going one kilometer an hour, which slowed the swim down. Obviously, at that point, 25K in, eight hours in, we're still looking at, what, 80 hours left in the swim? The swim just got a hell of a lot longer, right? Your logistics change at that point. So we, I was doing backstroke for 10 kilometers going towards Kelowna there, and uh, I remember it was a cruise switch, and my one of my best friends, Ken, came out, and he said, uh, man... Can you do any fucking other stroke? Nothing. You can't do anything else. I was just thinking, oh, you bastard, Ken. Like, I'm trying, man. I'm trying. But I flipped over and tried to do my front crawl again. That wasn't working. So I uh, I tried to just feel out arm angles. Like, my shoulder, I couldn't do a high catch like a normal swim coach would tell you. Um, but I figured out I could do this thing where I slid my arm through the water because it didn't involve me lifting my elbow. So I could slide my arm through the water, bend my wrist at a 90-degree angle, and then pull with my lat. So pull the big muscle in my back instead of, like, the small muscle in my shoulder. I called it my T-Rex stroke. So I'd punch the water, pull, bend my wrist, and pull with my lat. And it looked like uh, no swim coach on earth would ever tell you to do this. But, man, it gave me confidence because it let me keep going. And not only that, it got me back up to three kilometers an hour. I was cruising in the water, and that gave me a lot of confidence. So that bastard Ken, he got me, uh, he got me back there going, and uh, yeah, we started making our way down the lake. We uh, rounded the little bend there when it's it turns into the thirty kilometer stretch straight into Kelowna. So uh, we go by. I don't really know the, the true name of it. I call it Birdshit Island. It's where all the seagulls sit there. Um, so we went. We went by Birdshit Island and uh, kept going down the lake. And uh, third cruise change happened, and it was starting to get wavy at that point. I was actually dealing with a bit of a headwind, but uh, the crew came out, and a news interviewer came out, and they were on the back of the boat. And <laughs> it's always, like, random people out there, too. It's like, man, who's this person on my boat? Like, <laughs> But it was funny. They were on the swim grid giving me an interview while I'm treading water and the crew switching. My mom was out there, too. I got to see her and say hi, and it was awesome. And uh, see new faces and everything. And one of our crew members, Jeremy, at that point in time, he flipped the kayak and it's just like good laughs. I and mean, then that's a, that's a really the stuff you remember out there. It's like all these moments with the crew and everybody and joshing around and the thing, the jokes told and everything. And I really wish I was like almost on the crew boat for some of it. Cause you get to, you get to feel that all out and everything. But, um, yeah, I, uh, I, uh, wasn't obviously, but I got those experiences anyways. So made our, uh, Got started again and making my way through these headwinds, which were pretty rough, honestly, to go through. But I had a lot of confidence in this T-Rex stroke, and I was just going, going, man. I was on a mission, and uh, there wasn't uh, much stuff in me. And I remember at that point in time, though, we were dealing with – I was getting cold. I remember telling my dad and Jackson, who was my crew chief, earlier in the day, I was singing, we're going to have to figure something out for the evening because I'm good right now during the day, but it's going to get cold. Um, and they figured out that they cut one of my thermal wetsuits in half, so it was just a top, and I wore that like a shirt over top of my uh, other wetsuit. So I tried to do the full thing, but it felt like I was in this weird skin, and I couldn't move at all. So they cut it in half. I put the top on and lubed up every single time I ate. I'd put more lube in um, just through the, the neck and into my armpits. And I was a little bit worried because... Um, the chafing wasn't an issue when I had the sleeveless on, but once I put the sleeves on, then that brings back in the chafing 
component. So it was, uh, but it, but at that point, it was really, it was getting to the point where I was getting cold in the evening and I, I wouldn't have been able to go very fast or at all if, if I got much colder. So we put that on and uh, I was warm, but had to just be diligent with my chafing, staying ahead of it. So yeah, we went on into the night and uh, the nights are always tough because it's very disorienting swimming as it is. We have earplugs in, goggles on, you're at water level, but when you get into the night, it's uh, pitch black, you can't see anything. And I had this white, uh, the Equate diaper ash cream on my face as well to kind of block with the sun and everything. And there was no sensation on my face. So my face in the water and I turn to breathe, it's dark where I'm breathing. And then I go back in the water, it's dark where I'm in the water. So there's hardly any, like, you can't really tell where you are. Um, the only thing I had to go off was this little orange dog light in the water. So that became my world. But it also becomes kind of mesmerizing. And you kind of get lost in a trance following nothing but this light. I was getting pretty sleepy. I don't drink caffeine or anything usually, so um, giving me Pepsis and things like noon hydration tablets with caffeine uh, was big for me to stay awake and uh, keep me up. So, um, yeah, we just worked through the night. And uh, honestly, that first night went, uh, went like, pretty well, man. I remember going by Okanagan Lake Resort and uh, – and RIP to it, it's it's all burnt down now, which is terrible. But um, at the time when we went by, I remember going by there and saying, like, man, this is where I stopped my second attempt. Like, this is where we got out. And uh, just having the confidence that, man, I made here all my own, like, swimming, and uh, and we're going to go through the night, and we're going to make it through the night. And I remember, uh, like, my brother, he's been my best friend since I was born, our family friends, uh, Ford. He, he told me, man, just make it through that night and you're going to be cruising. You're going to make it through that night. You're going to have so much motivation through the next day and you're just going to ride it. Just make it through that night. And he told me, listen to a song by Kanye where he goes, even if you're not ready for the day, it cannot always be night. Kanye's mom says that at the start of the song. And uh, that was running through my head. Like, it can't always be night. It can't always be night. And I had a timer on my on my watch that said when the sunrise was coming. So I... Uh, yeah, man, I uh, I made it through the night, and that was one of the biggest boosts ever. I made it to the fourth crew, which came at 4 a.m., and I never made it to the fourth crew before, and uh, made it through the night, and the day came. Uh, yeah, day t- or night turned to day, and uh, had a bit more motivation in the morning, but it was getting pretty, like, uh, I was getting pretty tired at that point. I was well behind schedule. Um, my goal was to reach the bridge by 12 a.m. to 3 a.m., and here we were the next day, and I was just getting to Bear Creek and places like that, so still 10, 15 kilometers away from the bridge. Um, but we kept going, kept going. Um, I tried to take the wetsuit off in the morning, and I got freezing cold. I don't know if it was just a, the the going from being warmer and then going into the water again, but I had to put the wetsuit top back on. Um, so that stayed on for the rest of the swim, actually. Um, so on I went. And everybody was following along on the live tracker I had uh, in my pull buoy behind me. And people would come out. And the day before, people were out there playing Rocky. And some guys would come out and just always giving me props and support, which was awesome to have the community rallying around me. And, uh, and yeah, man, it was, it's, it was awesome going through that first, that first day and then getting into the, the bay kind of area where I knew the bridge was only – seven kilometers away and I knew that because I remember back to when this thing holds this first thing first started when I paddle on my my paddleboard sitting on the cooler 
and I would do that whole loop in and around. I knew exactly how far everything was. So I picked and pulled a, an experience in my mind. I said, I know 7K. I know I know that. I've done that before. So we started just making our way that way. And uh, as we're getting closer and closer to the bridge, this is when uh, I was getting into the point where I was seeing hallucinations. And hallucinations, to people who haven't seen them, are, to me, the best way I can describe it is your brain gets lazy. So it'll see a shape, it'll see colors, and it takes the easiest path to what it thinks it is. So it doesn't want to think too hard. It'll see something, a rock or a tree in the distance and think, oh, that's a lion or that's a that's a alligator. And then, you, and then you think, like, you're there still. You think, no, that's not an alligator. And then you stop and, like, try and center yourself and you can see, okay, yeah, that's a tree or that's a rock. But while you're moving and your head's in the water and you're doing all this stuff, you feel like disoriented very disoriented so um i've seen hallucinations i saw oh like a beaver perry the platypus it had machine guns on his back and i saw this man in the in the water he'd stick his head up out of the water went on the front of the kayak and then pop back in and and didn't help that one of my crew crewmates male and his foot was on the edge of the kayak and it looked like a hand so when i saw that head i was like oh there's a hand there as well and i looked i'm like oh it's just Malin's foot and then it was just like a reflection in the water and stuff and then i remember i was eating one time and my uh my witness uh sav she was in the boat and she had a bun in her hair i was saying oh we got birds on the boat hey and the guys were like oh yeah i guess so and uh I'm like, yeah, they're like, hey, what, you guys bring a chicken out or something? Like, what the hell is that? And they're like, what? And I stopped and, like, pulled my goggles up and looked. I'm like, oh, man. Like, oh, I'm losing it. Just, like, but joking. Like, I was I was seeing stuff, yes, but I was there. It, was, it doesn't sound like I am, but I was still, like, very mentally cognitive um, as far as knowing where I am, knowing what's going on, knowing the situation, knowing everything. So, I just kept working, working, working forward, seeing these things and telling my crew members because I thought it was funny and all that. And then uh, we had a crew change right before the bridge. And then I get to the bridge, and I've been thinking about this for so long, man. On that very first paddle I did with Ken, the, the marathon paddle in the kayak, when I went through the bridge on my paddle, my kayak or pack raft the year before when I did it all by myself, and then now, finally pulling under and thinking what it would be like to have all these people on the bridge and cheering me and if people wanted to come out and maybe somebody would even spit on me. Like, I don't even know what's going to happen or pour a drink off the bridge or something wild. Like, I didn't know. But I pull under the bridge and see it. I get shadowed by the the shadow under the bridge and I come out, out the other side and look up and, oh, my gosh, man, there they were, people, like, lined up on the edge of the bridge. And I look to my left and uh, all of a sudden there's people on the shore there and cheering and everything and they have signs and oh man I was just like so happy to see all support from the community and everything and uh and uh and just trying to like take it all in I remember saying to those guys like hell yeah like thanks I'll see you guys in Penticton and then like I remember kept going and and Spencer's like man take this all in like take this in bro you earn this you earn this and then I remember and take in how this feels so awesome, but think of how it's going to feel in Penticton. And Spencer just got like fired up then, and I was just like, let's go. I just had this fire inside of me. I was ready. And then I, we went up a few hundred meters and uh, stopped for my fueling, my food, and I got so caught off guard by the conversation we had. 
it was me and my dad and then Jackson was there as well uh, at the front of our support boat. I pulled up and uh, was treading water talking to him and my dad said, hey, Nick, I think we're going to go up to this next point and then call it. I said, like, what? Like, call what? He said, the swim. Immediately I said, nope, no. Like, I've been, I've been, this has been too much mental torment for me. Like, why, why, why do you think we would call it? And they were very worried about my hallucinations. And I had to try and vouch for myself and tell them, hey, I had hallucinations when I ran around the lake. I had hallucinations when I paddled this lake by myself last year. I've had hallucinations many times in my life in doing these things I've done. And if you see them for the first time, they can be scary. But if you get comfortable with these things and know what they are, know you're not in danger, it's not real, your mind's just playing tricks on you, you can accept and make peace of what you're doing. Like, these things are cool to see. It means you've earned it. You've went, you went far enough to earn these hallucinations. You've been up for, what, 35 hours at this point? Like, you earned this, man. You, you got to this point, you earned these hallucinations, which is a funny way to look at it. But that's how I looked at it. They looked at it as you could fall asleep in the water and drown. Um, your, your mental isn't there. But I remember having a conversation with them saying, do I seem mentally unaware or do I seem physically unaware? And they said, no. And they said, okay. I said, if you get to the point where I can't move at all in the water, I don't know where the hell I am, yeah, you have the you have the ability to pull me out. Okay, I respect that. But I'm not leaving the water now. And there was nothing that was going on. Yeah, they, they literally would have had to come in and pull me out of the water because I was not leaving the water then. I told them I'll have buddies that will come and we'll take the kayaks and go. And I know I have friends that would do that for me. And then my crew was saying, no, like we're not leaving you. Of course they wouldn't. They're the best people ever. And uh, they said, okay, let's do this thing then. I said, yep. I just went right back into the water, man. Just put my head back in and started paddling towards the next point. And uh, I think that the, they were thinking before the bridge that we'd probably get to the bridge and call it because it's a big milestone. I've never made it there before. And here I am making it to the bridge. And it's gone longer than we expected already. And then uh, call it. But at that point, it was like, no, we're going, which then led to some new challenges for the crew. Because I had set up crews up until 48 hours in the swim. But at the pace I was going and where I was, I was halfway. I was 56 kilometers in, had 50 kilometers left. It was going to be an extra day. So we had to get more crew. And I left it on the crew members. I was trying to give some uh, help with that. And they said, man, just focus on swimming. Like, that's your job, swimming. I said, all right, say less, I'll swim. And they took care of the rest. So we started going up towards a point, And at that point, we moved to keeping me to kind of a schedule. So we did 500 meter repeats with like a one minute break. And that kind of gave me some pace, gave me some, something to look forward to, like working hard, then a break, get some Gatorade, working hard, a little break, get some water, working hard, a little break. And we did that for an hour and I had my food and then we just keep doing that. At this point, I got to the point, uh, you kind of you kind of go around, you go through the bridge and you're sticking along the shore there. And I'm just a hundred meters away from the shore now, a hundred feet away from the shore. And, uh, some other swimmers came out and uh, were swimming with me for a bit, and uh, it was pretty cool doing these repeats. And one of the the uh, 50th parallel winery, the owners came out in their boat, and uh, they said, "We're the ones that put you over your goal." And at that point, I realized, man, we raised ten thousand dollars for CMHA already. That was my goal, ten grand. And here we are, we're not even done the swim, and we're at ten grand already. And I remember they gave uh, Spencer a drink, and uh, he shotgunned it. And I was just like, oh, buddy, save one for me after this swim. Like, let's go. I was just fired up. And then uh, 
<laughs> and then, uh, yeah, we just kept up with that pacing, and it was starting to get a bit darker at that point, but we went by, uh, I think it was Green Valley Bible Camp or, or some camp like that along the along the water there, and I, I heard, like, some chanting. I pulled my head up, and I heard, go neck, go neck, go neck, and look on the shore. There's, like, a hundred of them on the shore. I remember just, like, holding up my swim buoy with a light in it and, like, thanking them so much and then uh it was pretty cool to see that and then we got to the point where i make the crossing from the the side of the lake we were on to rattlesnake island which is a 10 kilometer crossing and uh, i've done it before done it with my dad my dad and i swam the bridge to penticton just before penticton and a practice swim two years ago and i know what it took and i know i paddled that before and everything so i knew what it was but at this point it was dark i've never done it in the dark so Again, trusting my crew, and uh, we started heading over that way, and then we got into some massive um, currents and winds. And I remember at one point I swam for two hours, and I looked, and they showed me where I was on the map, and uh, I was like, "Holy man, uh, we haven't moved at all!" Like, like we did like a, a few kilometers, but it was like, like I swam that hard. Like I was swimming hard, man. I was swimming freaking hard, and we barely moved. I was like holy man, like we're going to have to figure something out here. Like should we go in to the other side of the lake and then up? It would add a few kilometers, but should we do that? And they were saying, no, we're going to go north. Um, so it will be higher. And then the way, the current's going to kind of pull us into Rattlesnake Island. And I remember at this point I was, oh, man, going through my, into my second night. At this point was literally when we were supposed to finish the swim and get the record. And then the record time passed. Uh, so that means we we're over 41 hours in the swim at this point. And uh, I remember just like kind of arguing with them and being like, man, I've done this. Like I've done this a couple times. Like that's going to add way more time. Like that, that's not the most efficient route. And then we kind of started button heads and, and, uh, and they're like, man, just like trust us. Like, and then I remember at one point I got so sleepy. I kind of dove, dozed off and went underneath the, one of the pontoons on the boat and my dad was like, get in the boat and like come take a rest like you did something dangerous i remember telling him like no like i'm not getting in the boat i'm not like i want to keep going and i remember just arguing with them and like they were getting my food ready and i just started paddling off into like the darkness and feeling like i knew where i was going but i was so disoriented like i didn't when it's nighttime and you might have a little light, like three or four kilometers on the shore, somebody's porch light. And when you're swimming, 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 and you look at that light and then you swim an hour and you look back over and it looks like it's right there to you. When in reality, it, it might be like at a different angle, but in the water and when it's dark, you can't tell. So I was swimming hard and it felt like there was this current in the water and I'd look over and I'd see my kayaks and it felt like we were all in a raging river. Just getting pushed back. And I was so disoriented. Every time I'd swim hard and stop, I'd be like, man, man, why the fuck are we keep doing this? Like, why are we going here? Like, I'm not moving at all. And then I'd stop and feel like I've got pushed back. And I'd look at lights that I passed two hours ago and I'm back. I was like, man, this is useless. I remember at that point we got like kind of heated argument with me. And I remember Jackson was saying, man, man you got to trust us. Like, trust us we have the map here and everything and i was thinking like okay you know what fuck it like i'll do this out of spite just to prove a point that we're not moving i'm gonna swim as hard as i can in the way you tell me and then when i'm done in two hours swim as hard as i can i haven't moved then you'll know i was right 
So <laughs> I just started swimming as hard as I could for like two, three hours. And uh, lo and behold, they were correct. <laughs> and we made up ground. And uh, they showed me on the map. They said, you started here and now you're here. And I said, oh, you were right. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, so that night, we got through the second night, um, started getting towards Rattlesnake Island. And that was that was definitely the toughest part of the swim. So, like, uh, by far, was getting through that night and having the bit of turmoil within the crew and all because of me just being a stubborn bastard. Stubborn bastard. And uh, I thank them so much for for sticking to their guns and not letting me bully them when I thought I knew what I was doing and they knew better because they had the map. When I did this stuff, when I was paddling, I had the map in my hand, so I could definitively say I know where I'm going. When in the water, I didn't, so they were correct, and yeah, that's 100% on them to to get me in the right way, and they did that, and I, I'm forever grateful. So um, we started making our way towards Rattlesnake, and uh, the day... The night turned to day for a second time, and at, by this point, they had started bringing crew members out that I hadn't even met before, but friends were bringing friends of their, like, friends of friends out and meeting people for the first time and uh, had some pretty solid people out there helping. And I remember one of our crew members flipped the boat or flipped the kayak. He lost his phone. I was thinking, oh, man, like, you weren't even supposed to be out here. You flipped it, and you lost your phone. Like, I felt so bad. And, and uh, yeah, it was funny, though, because uh, one of our – crew members um i was paddling and everybody else if i started going off track a bit they just like tap the water or something say like hey nick go this way and i, I remember uh, it was blake <laughs> i i had never met him at the point i knew him from online and uh i was going the wrong way and he slapped me on the head he said go that way <laughs> i was like oh nice to meet you man <laughs> like holy that's funny and uh yeah <laughs> he's a great guy though and uh started going towards rattlesnake and uh Made it, uh, made it to the point where you go through the the little, the little kind of laneway in Rattlesnake, and uh, yeah, we started going through there. Um, made it through there, did a live on the other side of it, and then uh, live video on my Instagram. And then I remember at this point, apparently the crew was pretty worried about my safety, and uh, they were talking to some doctors and stuff, and. Because at this point, we're getting into uncharted territories as far as what I was expecting and honestly what many humans have done like there hasn't been that many swims of uh getting up into the 60 and 70 hour ranges so um yeah it uh it was definitely uh um nerve-wracking for them because they were thinking that i might just drown with my head in the water but um i i felt super confident myself again coming from these scenarios that uh that I put myself in before that do have my life in legit immediate immediate danger um, that I could hold myself and account for myself and if anything were about to happen um, I would swallow my pride and and let them pull me if there was a dire situation where organs were failing or something like that um, but that wasn't the case and we were safe and everybody was. We had first aid people on board, and we had uh, we had uh, life jackets and all that stuff. So we uh, kept on keeping on and started rounding that bend around. And then as soon as I got around that bend, it's the final stretch. It's a big final stretch, but nonetheless, the final stretch, 30 kilometers long. 
all the way from that corner point by Rattlesnake area into Penticton. There's a little jetty kind of that comes out um, like a, so you can't really see the edge of Penticton we're going in, but I could see the other edge of Penticton, uh, the beach. So it was literally like, man, I got a straight shot. Like I've done this before. Um, we're going to do it. Like this is legit. We're going to do it. By this time it was the second morning, probably actually second afternoon by this point. And this was always worrying to me if I got a headwind at this point. But it was a tailwind, and it was pretty awesome. Big thing with tailwind is when you're eating and in the water, you're actually moving towards your goal. If, as opposed to a headwind, you have to force to stay where you are um, just while you're eating and stuff. So it becomes more work. But something people don't realize while you're swimming is if you're running or you're cycling and you stop at an aid station or something during a race, or you can fuel up by sitting so you sit down and you can fuel and you can have a rest whereas when you're swimming if you stop swimming you drown and die so to eat you have to tread water with just your feet holding your head up trying to eat while waves are hitting you and you're trying to breathe and you know the old saying don't eat half an hour before going in the water where i was eating every hour in the water and you have to get used to eating in the water and that comes into my training before and knowing what i could eat and everything and it's a lot of Fast-acting carbohydrates, so your honeys, your energy gels, your your uh, candies, your things like that that you'd have every hour. And I had a carbohydrate mix that I had e-load. I'd have that every hour, which gave me carbs and it gave me calories every hour. I'd drink it. And then every so often, probably every two hours or three hours, I'd have a kind of more a substantial meal, maybe like some Annie's mac and cheese. Baby, you're going to hit me with a sponsorship, Annie's. I probably ate like, uh, I don't know how many cases or boxes of this stuff. Probably like 12, 13, 15 boxes of Annie's gluten-free because I'm celiac. But uh, <laughs> lots of that you'd have or, or lots of fats though. So peanut butters, your avocados, your olive oils, things like that because fats are they're the long-burning um, fuel. Whereas simple sugars, they burn um, quick, as easiest way to say it. So you have to keep replenishing them more frequently. So eating was more of a chore than it was swimming. And you get into the the uh, routine of when you start an hour, uh, I would eat every hour. So every three kilometers, hoping I'd make it three kilometers, but every hour I'd eat. And I'd get going and I would say, hey, um, I cloned her in. All right. I'm looking forward to my meal. 2K in. All right. 500 meters left. All right. We're an hour in. Time to eat. And you stop to eat and you think, I'm going to get a break. But then you go, oh, wait a minute. No, I got to tread water. And then they send you your thing. And then you eat quick. And then all of a sudden you dip your hand in and put more Vaseline on. And you're still trying to tread water. And, and then next thing you know, you're, you're back to swimming. You said, well, that was like two minutes of... <laughs> harder work than swimming now all i gotta do is swim again so i got to the point my ankle was killing me in the water treading water because like how how often are you treading water for 70 hours or using your legs in the water for 70 hours right so it uh got to the point yeah we're even resting or resting like eating and stuff was a chore in itself um so we uh we kept going down the lake um make my way down. And at this point, this was the number one question I got asked afterwards was, what do you do when you have to go to the bathroom in the wetsuit? 
up until that point, I didn't have to go to the bathroom. Obviously, I had to pee quite a bit, and peeing is you just go in the wetsuit, and then you'd kind of flush it out. Like, I'd hold my legs and kind of just squeeze it out the bottom of the wetsuit. Um, and it gave you a little bit of warmth in your in your core for a few seconds, and then you'd squeeze it out, uh, as gross as that is, but that's the reality of it. Um, and then going having to go number two did not have to happen until I uh, got to the third day. And then, yeah, the reality of it is you would zip down the wetsuit, and I kind of pulled my half ass out, and... Um, in the water, kind of with the wetsuit over my shoulders, and you go in the water, and there's a naked man in the water, and then you pull it back up, and it is a pretty gross feeling, and I don't recommend anybody do it, and I I hope they <laughs> didn't get that part on camera, but um, yeah, it's a reality of doing stuff like this. Kind of anything uh, that has to get done gets done, right? So... It doesn't really matter. You focus on the task at hand. And uh, at this point, I was at the point in the swim where it didn't even feel like an event anymore. We were getting to, we're on the third day now. We're getting to around the 60-hour mark. And this was my life now. This wasn't an event. This was all I do is swim, eat, until I get to where I have to be. I will figure out how to keep moving forward regardless of what happens. This is what I do. This is all I do. This is my life now. So that's the point I was at. Um, got the wetsuit zipped backed up and, uh, continue on forward. And, and I started working really hard to like make up normal ground. And then what we figured out after was there was a current running, um, kind of pushing me under the water, but the waves were blowing up top of the water. So the kayaks were cruising on top of the water, but me, I was gotten just feeling like this, like something was pulling my legs almost like pulling me back. So it was tough to tough to deal with that um but again just kept trekking kept trekking kept trekking and then uh we got to the point man where it was like getting into the evening time more people were coming out um one of the guys i trained with lincoln and his dad came out on this little tin boat and they were around and we had almost like a crew of people the the support boat came out and then they they kind of stayed with us um, my rock the boat reynolds boat stayed with us for the last little bit and i had uh, all these people that uh, would come out and help me swim in the water and they'd like swim next to me. And uh, we got to the evening time then and the sun was going down and there we were, we were around 15 K out and it was just awesome having this whole community of people around, man. At that point we were probably at around $30,000 raised for CMHA Kelowna, which was unbelievable. And apparently my Instagram was blowing up with thousands of messages and followers and and uh people giving support and taking videos of finding me on the lake and oh there he is and there he is and and I and that's kinda I always like when I first started this attempt when I was standing there at the start and I said there's nothing that's gonna stop me and like, this is the year it feels like destiny. Um it really sank in when I hit the final point of uh, the swim where it's an eight kilometer shot into Cologne or into Penticton um we had just went around the point so for us it was around 10 kilometers we were we had a sight of where I had to be but it was 10 kilometers and that sets in that's man this is one of your normal swim days this is a 10 kilometer swim set what do you know the other camera died again too much heat anyways um getting into that final stretch 10 kilometers I said man this is a 10 kilometer swim set 
H2O Kelowna, you've done hundreds of these things, man. Like, you know what this takes. You know what it is. I had my crew. At this point, I had even Jackson, the crew chief, who had been on the boat for, at this point, around 68, 69 hours. He was jumping in the water with me, had Malin, had all sorts of these different people that were crew members or friends of crew members coming out swimming with me. And, uh, yeah, man, we we started back into our 500-meter repeats, and I said this is like 20 500-meter repeats, and we're just going to bang these out. And uh, I would get them to let me know at 400 meters because I was kind of I, – I, I like to keep track where I was in it, and then we'd get another 100 meters, so 500 meters, and then I'd redo it and just do it over and over and over. And uh, so, yeah, as we started counting them down, man, that's kind of when it started to set in and feel real and, like – holy dude, like, we're going to do this thing. And uh, I remember, though, <laughs> Spencer, he was in the uh, kayak, and uh, I was going, and I remember the other crew, they had their goggles up, and they were, like, all happy and, like, like just doing breaststroke. And I was, like, swimming and just, like, looking at them, like, what the hell? Like, I'm going that slow, these these guys are just meandering on beside me having a conversation. And I remember just saying, oh, fuck this. <laughs> I'm going to take their souls. And I just remember <laughs> just like giving it, just starting to go. I said, Spencer, just make it fast, buddy. Just give her the beans. <laughs> Spencer, I was trying to hold on to the light. Spencer was uh, keeping the water. I was keep, trying to keep it right in front of me. And then he started going. And I remember people were like, oh, they put their goggles on and they started swimming. And it was good. We had good pacing going down. And, uh, and yeah, man, it just started knocking those down. Nine kilometers, eight kilometers, seven kilometers, six kilometers, five kilometers, four kilometers, three kilometers. And then we got to a point where on that last stretch, I was just like, I was getting pretty beat up as far as like 10 hours left into the swim. I had cut my toe and uh, I don't know if you can see it. Oh, geez, my feet are dirty. But uh, I got a pretty bad bad gash in my toe on the bottom of the support boat. I, it came close to me one time. I tried to kick off of it. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it uh, sliced it open. I remember thinking, damn, that like that's pretty deep. And I held my toe out of the water, and it was gushing. So I had to, like, wipe it off. And then I just wrapped this ball of electrical tape. I had this huge ball of electrical tape on my foot. <laughs> and uh, it just felt like a club that I was kicking around in the water but had that with me in this last 10 kilometers and and uh I actually had that with me last 10 hours but um in these last 10 kilometers I had that and I was again getting a little bit disoriented in the night I was swerving off the wrong way kind of trying to find the right way I knew where I was going but then as I was focusing when I'd focus on the light and I'd visualize something else in my mind. I, I'd stop seeing the light apparently and I'd just drift off. But can you blame me? I'd been in the water up to that point, 70 hours, and and I uh, started going into the shore and the support boat went ahead and all the other swimmers left and my Rock the Boat Reynolds boat went ahead and it was just me and one of the kayakers, Kyle, who had been there for all three attempts as well. He came from out of town, which is pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, man, we, we got into this last kilometer and I remember him saying, we'll take you in buddy and let's, let's do it. And, uh, we're aiming for that SS Sycamoose at heritage at the, uh, paddle wheeler there on the beach. And I remember seeing the police there and an ambulance and 
starting to hear cheers in the crowd and and uh coming in man it was uh <laughs> it was something that you picture in your mind thousands and thousands of times every single night while I was in the cold in my bed and like trying to get used to being in that cold every night when I would do that I would also think about the finish right before I went to bed I'd think about the finish would it be like finally letting my feet touch the ground feeling the sand crawling up onto the beach and then just being like surrounded by friends and family and the people I love and like what would that moment be like and just visualizing it and these finishes they're always they're always a bit different than you imagine them but they're unique in their own right and I wouldn't change any of the finishes I've had. They're, they're, uh, they're these special moments in life that I hold higher than any other experience or moment, and uh, and uh, they all are unique in their own right. But I remember coming in and yeah, just getting closer and closer and closer, and then uh, about a hundred feet out, and put my head down and started paddling in, and then. Uh, I remember, I remember thinking, uh, I gotta do something, like, I gotta do something to, to make a mark, like, leave, leave a point, an exclamation point here, and I, uh, I went in, and I started going, and I could see the shore under my eyes, I could see the the shore getting closer, 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 I was thinking, I want to swim in as far as I could, so I went until my hands were scraping, and then I kind of, like, crawled my way up a bit, I remember seeing, um, I think it was David Goggins after the Moab 240 race by Destination Trail. He did push-ups at the finish line. I remember thinking that's like the most badass thing. You get through something that just takes the soul of so many people and like you're just, you went through hell to get to this point and you still have, you still have enough for a set of push-ups at the end. So those ones were for you, David. I got to the end and banged out I think four or five push-ups and face in the water bang 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 get up let's go just so happy elated with just all these emotions and pulled my goggles off and like police car and ambulance and there are people there and just disoriented and I was just trying not to face plant I was like getting up and just about fell forward and uh <laughs> Oh man, though it was like I imagined that moment so much, and then all of a sudden there it was, and I was covered in all that white equate diaper rash cream, and just like way over my time, like seventy out seventy one hours and twelve minutes, man, and my goal was forty forty one hours, so like we were thirty hours over, and and. uh went through all these moments up and down, up and down. And, uh, like I said, man, that's, that's the reason I I do this stuff. My why is on normal life. You go from the zero or, uh, out of zero out of 10, you go from the four to a seven, I'd say most days are, but on that swim, man, going through that night when it was brutal and I was fighting with my crew and I had like no faith. That was like a zero, bro. That was terrible and uh (laughs) and then finishings like these rare moments in life man where the culmination of so much time and effort comes together and 
that was four years of my life and like going through hell every single day in my mind, trying to figure out a way to get this thing done. And so many people ask me like, why do I do this stuff? Why do you put yourself through that? And it's just like, I have a passion. I want to be the best on earth at this stuff. And I want to inspire people and getting messages from all these people saying, Man, I did my first, did my first 5k cause of you. And like, I wasn't going to go to the gym today and I saw you do this and like man, I got up and put my shoes on and said if he can swim for that long I can go to the gym for an hour and like all those messages and that just feeds me so much I want to do so much more and and like I said these moments the moment when I finished my cycling trip in America surrounded by my family the moment I finished my cycling trip in Mexico I FaceTimed my family I was by myself this moment finishing the swim Four years of hard work, effort, nerves, pain, blood, sweat, tears, anxiety, everything just like finished, dude. Just like this best moment of my life, my family around, my crew breaks me up just talking about this thing, man. But this is the passion I have for this thing. And these rare moments in life, that's what I want to strive for and pursue. And I think a life full of pursuing these rare moments is a life well spent and that's how I want to live my life. So ah, man, that's why I do this. That's why I do it. And uh I'm starting to realize, like truly realize I'm just scratching the surface of what I can do. And uh I have a hell of a lot more in me and I like to think of uh this name of this podcast and the, the thing I live my life off is comfort breeds complacency. And uh, I think when you get comfortable living in in these in these things, like when I finished my ride across America, I remember people saying, "Man, that's a ride of a lifetime!" Like, like how do you top that? I remember thinking when I was nineteen years old, twenty years old, like, "I can't be it. It can't be it." That's an unbelievable accomplishment, and I'm so proud of that. Doing that alone, but that can't be it. That can't be my peak. Like, this is just where I'm starting, man. I cannot get complacent. I know getting comfortable and living in that, that, oh, back in the day, the, the back in the day guys, the, the guys who talked about things they used to do, that's, uh, it's not who I want to be. I want to continue to do things. I want to continue to push myself. I, uh, I don't want to get comfortable. So, of course, celebrate it. Of course, take time, appreciate it, appreciate what you've just done, what we've done, the community. We raised $42,000 for CMHA Kelowna, 71 hours, 12 minutes. Pretty unbelievable, man, but I know myself, and I know I'm going to enjoy this one and heal up, which I'm still doing, and uh, reflect on it. And I think uh, I heard some wise words lately that you don't learn from experience. You learn from respect, reflecting on experience, so... And that's a good example is, has anybody made the same mistake twice? Probably yes. Then you don't learn from experience. You learn from reflecting on that experience. So um, that's what I'm doing right now, talking to all you. Like, I appreciate each and every one of you that supported me or that is here listening to this and made it through whatever two hours of me rambling on shirtless in the school bus. Um, but uh, it's pretty unbelievable, man. And... uh I'm just starting to realize I'm just scratching surfs what I can do. I like to think of it as stacking. So my previous high, I like to make my baseline. So if I was striving to be up here, 
now that is my new bar. So you bring it back down and then you build upon it. You start stacking those previous experiences, using them as fuel for your current ones. That's how you grow. That's how you strive to be better. And, uh, yeah, man, I remember just taking some photos of my friends and crew and all of a sudden it was just kind of done. Like, uh, I gave a little speech to the people that were there. Hopefully I could, uh, get my words out right. I gave a little interview and <laughs> I remember, uh, Spencer and Ken were on my boat, uh, the Rock the Boat Reynolds boat out in the lake and they couldn't come into shore because the boat can't go in that low. It's not a pontoon or anything. So, and it's an inboard surf boat. So they were out there and they're blasting big booty mix 23, which is a, a mix that we all listen to. And I was trying to do an interview with the news or something. And I just hear it in the background. I was like, Oh, I love these guys. I love this crew. I love this. This community, man is unbelievable. And, uh, <laughs> we did it. And, and it, it takes a while to set in. And I went to the ambulance after that and I thought they were going to check my vitals and send me on my way. And I sat in the ambulance and, they strapped me down. My mom's like, where are you taking them? They're like, Penticton Hospital. I'm like, oh, damn, all right. <laughs> and then I remember as the doors were closing, I had some buddies outside. Don't let them take you. <laughs> I was just like, oh, let's go, boys. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so in the ambulance and they're taking my blood pressure, doing stuff like that. They cut my wetsuit off. Uh, I said, you don't, you're not going to want to do that, man. I got so much diaper rash cream underneath this. You're not going to do that. And they didn't listen. They did it. And it got all over the place. And I was saying, I'm sorry, but <laughs> it's everywhere. And uh, they were super nice. So got me to the hospital, um, brought me into the uh, the room. And that's kind of when I was, like, nodding off. I hadn't really slept in, in the, the whole time, right? So. I was uh, nodding off, and they gave me a tetanus shot because I, I sliced my toe open, and they gave me uh, um, they tried to sew sew up my toe too, but it was my I had like trench foot almost. My my water feet have been so waterlogged that a stitch would just pull right through the skin. So they glued it, or they actually didn't even glue it. They uh, they just uh, wrapped it, closed it up, wrapped it, and uh, and then. Um, yeah, they t- tested my blood and tested my urine. And um, they said I had elevated levels of creatine kinase, which is what you get when you have rhabdomyolysis. But mine weren't that elevated, just slightly. And they said it looks like you haven't even ran a 10-kilometer run. Like you killed it with nutrition, hydration. And I'm super proud of that. I'm super, super proud of that, that uh, I was able to map all this out and, and make it work. And... Uh, and uh, figure out what works for me and, and have confidence in it and uh, get me through that. So I also like to say there's no there's no right way to do things in ultra or, or in life. You, uh, y- you're you going to have different people doing things different ways, and as long as you get to the final goal, uh, everybody's process is going to be different. So whatever works for you, don't feel bad. If somebody's doing something different, doesn't matter. As long as it makes sense to you, that's all that matters. As long as you can get the job done and uh, and uh, perform, then what the hell does it matter how you do it, man? So don't let uh, other people's way get in the way of you. Um, I remember uh, at one point waking up, like, nodding in and out at the hospital, and there's a, there's a cute nurse <laughs> at the hospital. I was thinking, oh, 
gosh, man, I got white shit all over my face, and I'm fucking <laughs> look like hell. And oh, it was it was funny though. And uh, they were saying they were following along as well, and it was such like a cool thing to see the community rally around it. And and uh, yeah, I I got I got uh, all checked out, and I got the go ahead to go home and. And my mom was waiting outside in the truck, and my dad was, my dad was in the back sleep. He looked like hell. He's all bent over, and his face swollen, and he's tired as hell. He didn't sleep a wink on that boat. Maybe like twenty minutes the whole time he was out there, whole seventy-one and a half hours. And he was in the back seat. My mom was driving the truck home, and we got home and unloaded a few different things. And and uh, I was there with Ken, and uh, he was staying there and being with us, and I just talked to him a little bit. And kind of got showered up. It's so hard to get that diaper rash cream off. It's such like uh, water resistant. So you're pulling, trying to pull it off. It's in my hair. It's in every crevice. I mean, every crevice. And uh, yeah, I got a shower in me though. And I went to bed probably. So I started to swim the morning of the 1st of August at around 5 a.m. And uh, we finished. <sighs> around 4 a.m. on the 4th, morning of the 4th. So by the time I was finished the hospital and got back to Kelowna and got got to bed, it was actually like 2 p.m. in the afternoon, I think, um, on the 4th. <laughs> and then I slept until uh, 8 a.m. the morning of the 5th, which was a good 16-hour sleep, I believe. <laughs> and, uh, man, yeah, there's, there's a certain thing with ultras that, I, I do. Um, I've always done it. I, I call it the smile. So when I uh, I finish an ultra and I get all, all cleaned up and everything, uh, no matter how bad I'm hurting, I'll lay down on my bed and, and I'll just have a smile. And I know that I earned it and I did it. And everything I went through, I got to I got to the finish line. And even when there are dark moments, I'll think about that smile. I'll think about that smile while I'm in the event and thinking, man, I want that smile. And... Uh, I had that smile in this bed. Yeah, boy, was I hurting. All my ankles messed up, my shoulders, and uh, my lips got completely sunburnt, and uh, they took over a month. They're still healing now. They got, like, completely destroyed from the sun, and, uh, and yeah, I got a little bit chafing in my shoulders, but not nothing terrible compared to the first year, and uh, but that smile is something I work for, man, I earned. Cause there were there were those two attempts where I didn't get that smile, and I went back to bed, and it was pretty terrible, man. Trying to wash that shit off me when I was in such pain, and both times, and my mom's there, and she was being supportive, but obviously heartbroken for me, and like getting that smile meant a lot. So got that smile, and then I uh, and I woke up and. I don't know. We uh, had some friends over at a house uh, that evening and had a little bit of a crew get-together and reminiscing, and that's so fun to do, and everybody's telling their side of the story and just bullshitting back and forth and this and that, and it's it's all good laughs. And then I remember we went downtown and (laughs) had a couple drinks downtown, and people are noticing me down there. You guys swam the lake, and didn't you do that a day ago? Yeah, buddy. What the hell are you doing out here? <laughs> Celebrating. <laughs> we earned it. And uh, 
yeah just like i don't even know how they would recognize me i had all this stuff on my face and but good on them i guess and, and uh yeah man it's it's just been awesome and and all the the news articles since then and the interviews and and uh, all the support from everybody, friends and family and strangers and everything. It's been pretty amazing. Like I said, main things that support for CMHA Kelowna and, and raising $42,000, which is, is pretty amazing. And they said I visited their, their headquarters and they said it's going to go to um, uh, youth homelessness and, and mental health and, and giving these kids a place to, to live that, that don't have housing and all that. And, Oh, I can't like can't thank everybody enough for who donated, and <laughs> I was having a little chuckles like uh, the it's going to youth homelessness and kids without housing, and I was like I I live in a school bus, I don't even have a house, but <laughs> no, I was I was like joking around and kidding obviously, and uh, it's going to go to people who really need it, which is awesome, and uh, I couldn't be happier that I was able to to. Uh, help help in this it was all the people donated and did did the work that way so um if if me putting my arms above my head for three days straight is is what it takes then i i'm happy to do that it it uh means a lot that people care and and want to help the community and everything so i uh couldn't thank everybody enough and uh since the swim, we're, we're three weeks out now. I, it took me a little bit of time to get back into things, and and uh, my shoulder it's it's a it's a mystery, man. It gave out during the swim and had that impingement, and, and a few days later, it it feels it felt good to go. Like I was back in the pool within that week doing light swims because I couldn't run. I was hoping to be able to finish the swim and then be be good to run and cycle right away. But my ankle, of all things, got messed up from treading water for for so many hours while eating and then uh so I had to deal with that but um yeah I uh been just nursing my lips my lips have been pretty messed up and uh and yeah I uh I'm pretty happy to be out, out of this without as many gruesome injuries though or anything really serious so blessing for sure and uh it's a mystery as to what the shoulder impingements and stuff are, but I have a lifetime to figure that stuff out and a hell of a lot of experience now and and data to go off. So um, I want to definitely keep keep progressing and uh, definitely not get complacent with, with this with this goal. And I'm definitely going to enjoy this. And first Canadian ever to swim Okanagan Lake and second person ever to do it. And hats off to you, Adam. You... Uh, you're a hell of a man for doing that in uh, 40, 40 hours, 57 minutes, 11 seconds. So utmost respect to him and his crew. That's amazing. And uh, I'm, I'm proud to be proud to be Canadian and uh, to get this done in, on home turf. And, uh, and yeah, man, I, I'm just, like I said, getting started. I hope by the end of my career I'm able to have had um, three world's firsts in swimming cycling and uh running um hope to do big expeditions around the world i hope to do more races i hope to do short form stuff um or like shorter form stuff like these type of ultras that are a couple days straight hope to do big long expeditions um in the water desert jungle uh arctic areas like cold areas winter 
everything, man. I want it all. Like I said, I want to be a conqueror. I want to show people what a human is capable of, and I want to prove to myself what I'm capable of. So um, stick around for the journey. If you haven't already, follow me on Instagram, at NPAdventure. And uh going to be uh, posting a lot of stuff on there and my YouTube channel and... Uh, yeah, man, it's gonna be it's gonna be a pretty awesome ride, and I can't wait to take you all on it with me. So, um, I was gonna just answer a few questions I had um, on Instagram and stuff that people asked me after the swim. Um, yeah, I uh, got put out uh, some questions after the swim, and got like thousands of people responding asking questions. So, um, it was uh. <laughs> it was quite a lot to go through, but uh, it was um, really nice that everybody cares enough to ask. And, uh, yeah, so one was how many kilos of Vaseline did you go through? Uh, we went through probably 30 of those diaper rash containers um, and probably 30 Vaseline containers as well. <laughs> it was pretty uh, pretty brutal going through all that stuff. Um the grossest feeling ever, man, going through all that, putting it on you, and ugh, I do not recommend it. I may have been the slipperiest man that's ever lived, so <laughs> I don't recommend it, though. Uh, what was my first meal post-swim? Honestly, food is a huge motivator for me, even though I'm celiac. I love food, and those who know me know I can eat, but um, yeah, after that, eating every single hour for three days straight, and eating a lot of the same things. I wasn't really craving anything after the swim. It took me like a day before I was really craving stuff. I had uh, some gluten-free pizzas after, and honestly, I was craving like fuzzy peaches, peanut M&Ms, like things like that. And uh, I don't know, just kind of snacky foods. But usually after endeavors, it's lasagna. Lasagna is like a big one that I crave, I guess. So, um, yeah. How would you overcome the fear of open water if you had any? Yeah, I think, uh, like I said before, put myself in those experiences where um, I would not recommend to anybody. Don't do it. I don't think you should do it. Um, I'm just saying what I did and do. Uh, so going out on these swims alone into the middle of the lake, into bad conditions, things like that, where things can go wrong. But if you're able to um, know that there's nobody coming for you, uh, you gain a big confidence in yourself that you can handle whatever you have to in order to stay alive, to survive. So when you're in a situation where you have a full crew and all you have to do is worry about swimming, you don't have to worry about staying alive or trying to get back into shore or worrying about animals in the water uh, that can eat you or anything like that, then, yeah, it it becomes a lot easier. So open water has never really bothered me, and uh, I know that's a big thing for a lot of people, but it uh, I'd say just... Getting, getting comfortable in it. Obviously do it safe and like have people, maybe a friend or something in a kayak that could uh, come get you if you need to. But um, yeah, the way I, I, I did my things, like I said, uh, to do shit that nobody's doing, you got to do some shit that nobody's doing. So uh, that's the way I did it. Um, Yeah, the orange thing I pulled behind me was my pull buoy. Um, that's where my Garmin live tracker was in. So 
I wrote all my mantras and stuff on there as well. It was cool to be able to look at. And uh, that just pulled behind me. Um, how'd you prepare for no sleep? Uh, preparing for no sleep, you you actually have to prepare your body to train and and put out effort at times when it's not used to it. So you uh, you usually have training times during the day and your body's used to putting out effort and being really worked hard during the daylight hours. But when it's nighttime, you uh, you don't usually work that hard then. So your heart isn't used to pumping hard. So it really is like going out and doing runs and swims and cycling and stuff throughout the night. And like, I remember when I was cycling in Mexico crossing, Oh boy, I was probably three quarters of the way through probably around Chihuahua or Tabasco somewhere in there. I did a, I did a two day straight stretch. I did like an ultra in the middle of my, uh, in the middle of my cycling, uh, 51 day trip. I did like 406 K one day and, uh, over two days. And, uh, did it straight and like riding through the night there and stuff like that. Again, it's that pick and pull. Like I remember doing that and getting used to riding at night and I do runs at night here and just like staying up late working on things or friends or whatever. Just like you don't think these things are helping you, but they are, man. Everything you do helps if you, if you incorporate it right, if you take the right mindset to it and learn to um, reflect on it and make it work for you. So that's kind of how I prepared for no sleep. Um, did I have wrinkly feet? Yes, I had trench foot after. I had uh, some pretty brutal <laughs> chafing or uh, pruning, you could say. Um, yeah, I was. Uh, <laughs> I was probably as well as the slipperiest man alive. I was probably the wrinkliest man alive. Um, how many people were on the support boat? We had um, my dad and Jackson were out there the whole time. So they were crew chief and assistant crew chief. And then we had um, around three kayakers that would come out each time. We had the witness out there, um, a videographer. So at any time, there was probably eight, eight-ish people on the boat. Um and my original crew was around 18, I think, and then I think uh, 18 to 20, and I think we ended up having 25 people total come help out with everything uh, that people I didn't know that came out at the end and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it was uh, it was nice to have all the support from everybody and uh, have a uh, have a have a crew out there that you could really count on in the uh, in the last hours and everything when things got really tough. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think, uh, I'm trying to think of what else we have here. I answered most of these questions. Um, did I meal plan before or just feel, or just eat? Did you meal plan or just decide what you felt like eating as you went? I, uh, no, I definitely planned things out. Like I said, in, in previous attempts, I had a lot more stuff that I felt like I got too cluttered eating, like a different thing every time. So I stuck with the the e-load uh, mixture every hour on the hour for carbohydrates and um, electrolytes and uh, and just getting calories in. And I drink that every hour. Then I'd add simple sugars, so gels, fuzzy peaches, PNM and M's, um, honey, things like that, uh, granolas, stuff like that. Um, 
and I have kind of bigger meals like pasta, potatoes, uh, peanut butter. I love peanut butter. Um, that was a big one. Um, almonds, um, avocado, olive oil. Um, yeah, and so and I'm celiac as well. So that was a big thing like on the boat. If people were eating non-gluten-free food, they had to keep it separate from mine because the last thing I need is to have a again like uh, celiac pains and reaction out there in the water. Um, yeah, I think uh, that was mainly it for the for the food. Um, who's your idol? I'd say um, my dad definitely is like probably the biggest person I'd look at as a hero in my life. Um, my parents. Um, yeah, my dad's done a lot of things in his life that uh, I know he, he he was in situations where he, he had to make, make work in the situation, what he had. And I, I think I learned a lot from that and and he's a self-made man and uh and uh yeah he's still ripping triathlons at 75 and when we were doing the uh practice paddle a couple of years ago it was the hottest day in Kelowna history it was uh 46 degrees celsius and uh my dad was out on that kayak for for uh, 17 hours with me and uh just trucking along, getting it done. And uh, he's been with me for all these attempts. And he rode with me on my last day of my America trip because he rode that, he rode across America when I was just before I was born. And yeah, my dad's definitely the biggest hero. And my mom as well, she, uh, she's she been there for a lot of these tough times and helping me get through stuff mentally and and uh, working on, working on uh, talking through and learning how to, handle my emotions and everything and that comes in handy in these ultras so yeah, they're definitely my biggest uh, s- supporters and uh and all my friends and family as well and uh and I uh my sister and uh Dave and all them and and uh and uh I, th- I guess athletic idols would be Ross Edgley for sure um, because he's a swimmer and uh, doing the same type of things I'm doing. Obviously, he swam around Great Britain, so he's a little bit ahead of me, but I do want to do some challenges like he has, and I'd love to work with him someday on, on a project or something and meet him, and that'd be, that'd be a dream of mine for sure. And obviously, same thing with Goggins on, my, on all my reels and everything. That's probably the biggest one I get. It's like, oh, this is the Canadian Goggins or... I had Goggins saying, like, who's going to carry the boats? And a lot of my, my uh, comments were, oh, this guy is the boat. Like, he doesn't need the boat. This guy is the boat. And <laughs> So, yeah, it'd be, it'd be cool to compete against Goggins or train with Goggins. And uh, a lot of these people, man, just uh, Ash Dykes, another adventurer, uh, Mike Horn, adventurer. I like to pick and pull um, things from all these athletes and different sports and miles dash here i've had on this podcast as a base jumper and and uh courtney dewalter uh, ultra runner and and all these people i'd like to like pull the best aspect i think of them that could help me i pull that and pick and pull and i try and like create myself be myself but 
take the best aspects I see from them and try and emulate that into into my career and into my journey. And I'm unbelievably excited for the future. And uh, I got some big things coming. And I got some things where I'm going to help uh, or I'll be able to tie in the community more and have uh, people like you guys watch and get involved. And, uh, and yeah, this is just the beginning, and I'm stoked. I'm 25 years old. I'm living in a school bus, and uh, I might not be doing the same thing a lot of my friends are doing and getting married and, and uh, locking down a job and stuff like that, but... Um, I'm following my heart, what I think I should be doing right now. And if that means I have to live in a school bus to do it, then you're damn right I'm going to do it. So I'm uh, I'm just happy, man. I'm grateful. And it's a big weight off my chest to get this thing done. And I'm probably rambling on now, getting on like three hours of this podcast. But I was happy to be able to do this and uh, get this all out here and to you guys and just uh, – to put maybe some visuals that aren't iPhone photos and stuff to to this swim. Um, we are making a documentary with TMS Productions. I'm not 100% sure when that will come out yet as we have multiple terabytes of footage to go through over three attempts over four years. So it's a, it's a big, uh, big thing to go through, and uh, it definitely will take some time, but... We uh we're going to get it done, and I'm going to keep everybody updated. And I'm I'm ecstatic to to be able to show everybody this, and hopefully it gains some traction, and we can uh, move on to bigger and better projects that inspire even more people. So, um, I thank you guys for watching. This has been Comfort Breeds Complacency, Episode Ten. Nick Pelche, otherwise known on Instagram as NP Adventure. And, uh, fuck yeah, people. Keep it not so bad. Peace!